This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, February 3rd, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family bringing in the big savings while they're rolling out the MyPillow version 2.0. Whether you got the Air Lindells, the My Slippers, My Robe, or even My Dog Bed, you enter promo code STEAK, you're going to experience big savings at MyPillow.com forward slash steak. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched my coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. Enter code steak here, and you're getting 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming potting i think we're getting into one take this week oh. get those ear needs taken care of and done upright odyssey.com is the website you can find them on facebook and instagram as well friends don't forget to follow the show on instagram at steak for podcast breakfast there you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias the website our newest Substack, telegram channel and more on that note to everyone joining us today from the republican high command instagram discord and now via our verified accounts on twitter getter and true social welcome Friday edition Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 210. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Internet's going to be in and out. Guys, we've got a packed show, one of our biggest in a while. We've got a trio of congressmen coming in. In addition to that, we'll talk tech with Jake Denton. Before we get to any of that, we're going to jump right into it with one of our great friends making his return on Steak for Breakfast. All right, jumping in here on the show right now. He's the former chief of staff to the DOD, special assistant to the 45th president of the United States, one of our great friends. Mr. Cashpill, thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks so much for having me, boys. I was just going through my, you know, Durham deck, and this is the first card that came up for nice. you guys that can't see it. For those of you that can't, it's the, the Joker. Joker card, which is kind of apropos to all things going on. But we'll get there. Can't What's be- up, everybody? Oh, well, you know, we're just uh, knee-deep in the news. Good thing uh, for us, it's been busy. Uh, everything from what's going on up on Capitol Hill all the way over to the uh, – Eastern front of Ukraine, and we're going to try and touch on all of it with you today. Let's do it. But you have to intro me with the song 99 Red Luff Balloons. Otherwise, I'm hanging up. 
That's the first <laughs> thing I was going to ask you. Since you are our uh, Chinese spy balloon expert here on Steak for Breakfast, we'll give you an official title there. Um, what can you What can you tell us about what's going on with this thing right now? We saw Joe Biden this morning, uh, this Friday morning, uh, just completely turn his back and uh, not take any questions regarding it after he said the economy was great, so was the jobs market, the State of the Union is strong, and inflation was here when he got here. That's all he said this morning. So, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, well, then I guess we're, we don't need to have a show. Everything's good. Um, so, early. you know, I know we've been having a lot of fun with it on Truth Social and everywhere else about this balloon flying over America in strategic locations that uh, most people aren't aware of, except you guys and your audience. Um, it's literally an intelligence collection apparatus that is targeting their number one enemy, us. And what if we were to fly balloons over the CCP, um, they would get shot down immediately. And we're just like, what, letting it float around the friendly skies over more and more of our land. And our commander in chief doesn't even want to address it. He wants to talk about jobs. Um, it's the harm to national security is one thing. The fact that we have a commander in chief that doesn't know how to prioritize and do multiple things at once is problematic because our intelligence, our personal data, and America's secrets that we use to protect America are being hijacked by the Chinese Communist Party. And we have a commander-in-chief that doesn't want to do anything about it. It's It would be headline news if it was President Trump who didn't want to be doing anything about it. But, of course, he put out the right message, which is shoot it down. Shoot down the balloon was the yeah, quote. If, if any of our enemies had a balloon from us, it wouldn't even make it over anything yeah. sensitive. It'd be gone before it even hit the fucking border. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's just, and that's the one we know about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, nobody's talking about that. They probably, knowing the Chinese and maybe having done some intel work in my in my days, they probably floated this one as a pretext to say, you idiots, look at the shiny red object in the sky while we float 40 more behind it that you can't see. Mm. Yeah, that's a very worrisome. Our, the, the national security state right now is uh, something that we've been extremely hard on you as well. And the, it's night and day from when you uh, worked at the DOD, isn't it, Cash? Like, this is probably something we'd be hearing about in the media after it was shot down, right after it kind of broke into U.S. airspace when, if, when Donald Trump was the president, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I know how that conversation would have gone with the sit room and the boss back in the day. How close is that balloon to U.S. territorial waters and land? And then once, you know, we would do the appropriate thing, which is, well, you could just ask Millie to call his best friend. He's he's all about warning the Chinese before we go to war with him. But at least he's good for that phone call. And then we could trace it. And as soon as it got near us or over our over our territorial waters and land, Trump would have been like, why are you calling me? Shoot that thing down. Let's move on to the next problem. Um, and now we are giving the Chinese propaganda arm a massive amount of uh, ammunition. They are loving this from over there. Not only is the balloon still up, uh, but it's all anyone in America wants to talk about is how the CCP is dominating the United States of America from a national security perspective. I mean, these guys, what does that balloon cost? Like 12 cents? <laughs> I mean, I would love to fly a fight with cash balloon over the Capitol during the uh, State of the Union address, but they'll probably arrest me for, like, you know, being a terrorist. Uh, well, I wonder how long they were tracking that balloon for. I mean, the way with all the China taking up footing in the United States on on the borders of uh, military installations and stuff, who knows? They probably launched it from Nebraska. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and, ooh, that is a good point. Nobody, and, ooh, maybe they did. And even wow. though, even though uh, they speculate that it came down from Canada, but they're apparently mad at us because Tucker Carlson said we should invade them to liberate them this week on the show. 
<laughs> well, you can you'll know if it came down from Canada. You just have to look at if it's painted brown. <laughs> <laughs> and and we're there. Cash, moving along, I, I have, I, I rarely, well, no, we always read tweets and truths on the show. I found one this week, and I'm going to be honest, you came out pretty hard against the uh, government gangsters. <laughs> and for our listenership who hasn't had the chance to see it shared on our social media, I'm going to read it, and then I want you to break it down with us. Let's do it. When was the last time you snorted some crack, paid multiple women for sex, one of which was your dead brother's wife, then slept with her sister while having them on the payroll, capturing it all on camera? All while snuffing through classified docs dad stole, which you used to get seven-figure contracts from America's enemies. Oh, yeah. And unlawful, unlawfully obtaining a firearm and got away with that all. Only if your name's Hunter, got a dad called Joe and government gangsters. Two tiers of justice let you slide. That is a, that is a true social post from you earlier this week. <laughs> and uh, one that we really appreciated on the show because we talk about in between the lines, you kind of just... You know, remember that guy that built like the uh, killdozer and drove it around town? You kind of killdozered the narrative right there and just drove through it all, put it out there for everybody to see. And I'm I'm trying to fact check this, but I don't see anything in here that's incorrect. <laughs> you know, the the sad thing is, I wish it was just an entire joke because then we wouldn't have a compromised commander in chief no. through him himself by leaking class or taking classified documents and through his son for executing a pay for play scheme with CCP, the Ukraine and other parties we don't even know about. It sounds like fiction. It sounds like something. I don't even know who the movie guys are anymore because they all suck. But it sounds like something one of the libtards would have done in Hollywood and said, the commander in chief is taken over by the Chinese Communist Party. And through his crack addicted son, they sleaze the United States government for millions of dollars worth of advisory contracts. I mean, it's literally like one of those terrible government national security movies that those rubes out of Hollywood would make. But it's the tragic reality that we're in. And the media, of course, doesn't want to cover it. That's that's nothing new. So you got to go to platforms and you guys are all over it on Truth and, and elsewhere um, to just get the actual news out. That's what happened. That truth would be everywhere if you substituted Hunter for Don Jr. and Joe for Donald. Mm -hmm. That truth wouldn't even be a truth. It would literally be have been made already into movies and Netflix series. It would be all over the planet. But because the media doesn't want to cover it, doesn't want to doesn't want to do anything to lift up uh, President Trump. It's left to us to do. So I'm glad we got a space we can do it. in. Yeah. And it needs to be called out on, on a more regular basis, because for the very few who do, you obviously, Devin, people within the Trump circle, then you have some people in the mainstream media like Tucker Carlson, a little bit outside of that. People like Darren Beattie, the guys over on War Room, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that are doing a good job of, of, of pointing out these things. The fact of the matter is, well, first of all, it's M. Night Shyamalan meets <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. Those would be the collaborative efforts to make this movie happen. It's going to be a lot of feet. Wait, why'd you go M. Night Shyamalan? Just because we're both Indian? Hey, listen, <laughs> our boss is an Indian. Wait, hold on. Do you like, do you like feet? <laughs> no, there you go. And we're there. <laughs> no, I said M. Night Shyamalan meets Quentin Tarantino. That would be the collaborative effort to make this happen. <laughs> yeah. So not only would we have the spookiness and the twist ending, which I hope is better than what we're getting right now, everybody would be getting shot and blood would be all over the cameras, plus lens flare. So mm. pretty good movie. Better than the crap that they've been putting out lately. Uh, but, you know, we see this week... All of the legacy medias in not conservative politics, MSNBC, CBS, fake news, CNN, they're all trying to take a preemptive victory lap because apparently Hunter Biden's putting together like uh, a sue-a-thon mm. 
to go after everybody that's defamed him. Everybody from like people within the government, former Trump administration officials, all the way over to people like Steve Bannon. And he's just going to try and use lawfare against them for stuff related to the Hunter Biden laptop, which he said in an interview straight up face to face with somebody wasn't his says he might've been hacked. It might've been his property, but the content on there could have been manipulated by foreign agents, Russian spies, all that mm. crazy stuff that they like to make up. And uh, as someone who, who's worked in the legal well, apparatus, as much as yourself has, uh, what do you think his angle is here? Just try to sue people into leaving him alone before the, uh, well, it's not like the DOJ is going to investigate this, but we'll see some House committees do it. Yeah, I mean, look, he's trying the case in the court of public opinion, which is the which is the one place he knows he can win because yeah. the media will carry his water. So from a legal standpoint, from an attorney standpoint, it's a pretty smart move because he's going to garner all sorts of favor across America with the people who hate Donald Trump and want to do anything to see him not re- become reelected and defeat Joe Biden. So I think it's more of a strategic play than the legal play. I know the, the people that are defending him um, know that they don't stand a chance in actual court cases, but that won't stop them from going out to the media and saying, we're thinking of doing this, we might do this, or we'll find one target. And shift the narrative from what did my client do illegally, the thousands of things, to what about these guys, Bannon and stuff, you know, easy targets for the media to say, oh, no, look, they're 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 defaming and wait for it. It's going to come. They're going to be like they're defaming Hunter <laughs> Biden, which is which is just going to be hilarious. But that's that's coming. Um, they'll say it and they'll try to go after the likes of Bannon and company for doing it. Um, but it won't hold any actual legal authority these guys know that so they're you know splicing the atom and saying what what can we what's the best way forward out of it and it's to do the one thing that they've always relied on doing which is get the mainstream media in your pocket to advance your fictional narrative so that the american people are lied to and we can talk about something else in a month or two yeah, it's, it's pretty much the way it looks. I did see that the shop owner did file a defamation lawsuit against Hunter Biden 10 days before he started issuing out all his, like, hey, I'm going to sue everybody. Let's put it on TV and start talking about how everybody... That guy actually has a defamation case. Yeah. Yes, he does. And, uh, you know, this is going to be something that... I think once the House starts deconstructing this, I mean, everybody in Congress whose base has a copy of the laptop, so they know what's on there, besides, like, the, the Skittles on the penis pictures and stuff like that. Like, the real stuff, the emails, and then when they want to tie it back to that April 14th email, uh, you know, that they always continue to talk about saying how Hunter Biden was using like government ease in, in describing things to do with his business dealings that aren't normal for people who don't have access to like intelligence briefings and possibly classified information and stuff like that. I, for one, want them to take a legal action. Do you know why? Because we get we get freaking in uh, what we call depositions. We get to go send out subpoenas. So I really want to, and I, can, I know I could say this for Steve, I really kind of want them to go after Steve because Bannon will literally ignite the war room and go, okay, well, here are my first three subpoenas. I'm gonna, uh, And it's a civil case, so you can do this. I'm going to have an interrogation, defamation interrogation of Hunter Biden. Maybe I'll take one of Joe too while I'm at it. And oh, by the way, how about some of the corrupt actors in the CCP pay for play scheme? We haven't even gotten to the Ukraine. Are you sure you clowns want to do this? That's why I think I don't, it'll ever actually get to court because his lawyers are smart enough to know that if they took it to court, they are going to get bulldozed by depositions. And those depositions are not classified and they are not hidden from the public. They go out immediately. 
Yeah, it's going to be good to finally. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, just get some real receipts, not speculative stuff. Not, and I know a lot of people who have this information. You know, everybody from like Vish Burra and Steve Bannon all the way up to like Tucker Carlson and Darren Beatty. They don't want to just kind of like barf it all out there because it's going to be used in a more strategic manner. Like we're we're all going to get to the bottom of it uh, at some point. But the fact of the matter is now. It seems like it's going to be tit for tat until the investigations really start to ramp up. And like Cash said, the civil suits as well. Cash, next thing I want to talk about, I mean, we don't tap into you being the former chief of staff to the DOD enough on this show. Geopolitics right now. You saw the stuff that's gone on over the last couple of weeks with the conflict in Ukraine. Uh, we obviously committed some tanks over there. Joe Biden said no tanks, and now we sent tanks, and now people were pressuring him for jets, and he said no jets, which means in like three months we'll be sending jets. Uh, mm-hmm. We know places like Germany, I think they've committed like 80-some-odd Gen 1 and 2 uh, Leopard tanks as well, in addition to our Abrams, and a couple other people are throwing tanks in the pot and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is, one of the things that nobody's talking about, other than a very select few in, in conservative politics, is that... The audience needs to realize Ukraine is literally getting its ass kicked in this conflict. Like we wouldn't just be pouring billions every month and hardcore military equipment over there on such a consistent basis if they weren't doing the opposite of what they're literally telling everybody else. And there's been a couple brave people up in Congress, obviously some in the House. J.D. Vance now has, has talked about it for the last couple of days saying like, listen, we need to understand that Ukraine is not winning this conflict. So getting to the negotiation table is the best way to save lives and save money. Is something that nobody wants to talk about, literally except Donald Trump. He's the only one that says not only could he end this conflict extremely swiftly, I believe his quote was within 24 hours, mm-hmm. but he said he could get both of these people to the negotiation table just as fast. Not speaking on behalf of the president, but someone who, you know, when you come on the show, your opinion is yours. What do you think he's alluding to? Because I watched his entire interview with Right Side Broadcasting this week, and uh, he got right up to the you know starting line of saying that he's like, but we're not going to tell them what to do because then they'll just go and do it. So what do you think part of the angle is behind there? And how dangerous is this for our national security state to continue to give away strategic petroleum, give away ammunition, give away Patriot missile battery systems, and now tanks, probably jets by the end of this fiscal year uh, until it gets like, well, something other than Chinese balloons flying over our country. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. This is this is a subject that most of the media doesn't want to touch. It's actually the big subject of my show tonight on Cash's Corner. Awesome um, preview. But but basically, let's start with the the stuff we're sending to and keep it you know simple. We've sent ammunition. We've sent billions of dollars of cash of actual hard currency because Ukraine doesn't have a banking infrastructure system that we can just wire money to. All of this money just goes to Zelensky and then he ends up on the cover of Vogue magazine. It's another story. We're sending tanks. We're sending surface to air missile systems. We're sending missile defense battery systems. And do you know what has to go with all of these things to the Ukraine? Humans, American troops, Uh, Americans are on the ground in the Ukraine. Now, we can't say that they are American service members in uniform because the Defense Department is being cheeky and they're sending over, quote unquote, civilians and contractors and people who used to be in military uniform to advise and assist and all this nonsense verbiage that's built into the system. Americans are on the ground in the Ukraine. You can't send $110 billion worth of equipment and be like, oh, by the way, here's a tank. Here's a key to the tank. I I hope you guys know what you're doing. I wish you good luck. And we haven't even talked about the maintenance, the mountain of maintenance that goes into this machinery. Um, It's not like you can be like, oh, look, there's a missile in the sky. As long as you hit this green button, you'll knock it out. 
It's just not how these defense systems work. And we haven't even talked about the fact that the amount we've sent over there is going to take us near a decade to replenish yep. for America's use in our national defense apparatus. Ding. Um, and basically, the combination of those things makes the Ukraine, as I call it on tonight's show, um, it's the modern day Afghanistan, tragically. Mm-hmm. But the the ironic thing about all of it is that the Democrats are leading, and the Rhinos, of course, yeah. are leading us to war. The Democrats are doing it because it sounds cool to them, and they want the radical left-wing media to hype them up and make them super popular by wearing Ukrainian pins and saying, look at us, we're helping the world. And I don't see you guys making a rallying call to help put the poor nations out there. I could name 50 mm-hmm. that are worse off than the Ukraine. Um and then we have, of course, the rhinos who are embedded with the defense industrial complex who are like, the sooner we get to war, the more money we make. Um, and no one is taking a decision from a strategic standpoint, which is what Donald Trump was talking about when he says you can end the war. You can. You can end the war if you have the ability and watch this commander in chief to call Putin, to call Zelensky, to call Xi Jinping and say, hey, we're done with this. Or, and I'm just guessing here. We're going to issue so many sanctions on your banking system that Afghanistan is going to look like with a Wells Fargo of the world. We're going to issue so many sanctions on your business industry that you won't be able to trade fruity pebbles for money. Um, And that's the route Donald Trump took in China and other places. And you can do the same thing. We've been doing the same thing with Washington oligarchs forever. And we all know that's how Putin makes his money. And once you shut down, the massive industrial empire that is Putin's crony buddies, the war comes to an end. It's pretty, and you don't even have to implement all the sanctions. You just say, if you don't withdraw, this is going to happen. America has that ability, but this president, Joe Biden, doesn't want to take those actions to draw down the war effort because he doesn't want to draw down the war effort. He wants it to keep going. And since our Congress thinks it is our moral duty uh, to defend the Ukraine, We have to keep hammering them and telling them, no, it is our moral duty to not have more soldiers die in another man's war. And uh, you guys know that better than anybody. And the problem is our politicians don't care and they will continue to spend our blood and treasure because it will make them look good in The New York Times and on CNN. Yeah, I don't think anybody actually thinks it's our moral obligation or moral duty. I think it's just they're bank account is going to benefit from it that's that's what it all comes down to because every time i reference ukraine i say this is the biggest money laundering operation since weapons of mass destruction yeah since yeah, ye- yeah. since yellow cake yellow cake <laughs> <laughs> can't ever forget that i mean dave Chappelle made it famous but the, you know when you look at it cash you, you make a lot of sense there because if donald trump just came in and said listen i see how this is spun out of control this is what we're going to do ukraine you're not getting anything else Russia, the sanctions that Joe Biden put on you that hurt us, they're gone. Now we're going to put on the real sanctions. So instead of stealing your friend's yachts back, we're going to really sanction them to where they can't even, like like you said, use an ATM anywhere or exchange Fruity Pebbles for currency. In addition to that, China wants to rebuild Ukraine. Boom, they're sanctioned. And they're going to get sanctioned even harder than they were the first time I was president. And then people like Russia, oh, they get kicked out of the SWIFT system, so they start to make one with Iran. Oh, Iran, guess what? You're sanctioned now, too. Again, worse than the first time I was president. And when the entire world gets squeezed, especially all those people that are supposedly, like, producing all the world's energy, and then we just tell Saudi Arabia, like, hey, we've been wasting where we're sending our tanks the last couple of years. You want to come and buy some real ones for some cheap oil? We'll get that done. 
and then everything just kind of starts to sort itself out because right mm-hmm. now, like you said, it's a meat grinder at ground zero, and besides that, the story they're telling us in the news, the story that the politicians are out there, you know, saying, like, this is the fight for Western civilization, it's not. It's going to be the fight for Western civilization when you keep sending our weaponry over there to kill mm-hmm. soldiers in a war that we're not supposed to be involved in, and then the other side gets pissed off and says, you want to know what? Maybe I am going to do a tactical nuke. Might be ugly, but what do you want me to do? It's like it's the entire world against me. I'm just trying to fight for some historical backyard here, and uh, that's something that could be ironed out in the, the, the negotiation table, to say the very least. So I think moving forward, I don't see this slowing down any all with the current state. Yeah. I mean, you you have every single person that comes out there that's affixed to our federal government, especially the the national security state now is just pushing. I mean, you had um, Austin down in the Philippines checking out bases this week, and it's just spiraling out of control even more. It's so crazy that the man that they thought would end the world is the only one literally still trying to save it and be the voice of reason. But that's kind of where we're at, which is the last thing I want to touch with you on real briefly. Cash, Donald Trump officially rolled off, or I'm sorry, officially kicked off his 2024 presidential campaign this weekend with uh, intimate events in New Hampshire and South Carolina, surrounded by people who are going to make up those states' teams uh, once you know we get into the primary season and stuff like that. Outside looking in as someone who's still extremely close to the president, how do you think it went? We thought it was pretty solid, and we don't think we should ramp from, like, zero to rally season uh, right out the gate since we're still, like, 670-some-odd days out before we hit the ballot box. But we we did think that Donald Trump going out there and kind of laying out the state of the nation and what policies he's bringing to the table this time, there's a lot of social issues fixed into it, a lot more than there was the first time he ran for president, in addition to border security, the economy, uh, you know, national defense and stuff like that. But then he had in uh, 2015. So what did you think? Well, you know, it, it really doesn't matter what I think. Um, the fact that 80 million people followed it um, tells you what America thinks. Uh, if they didn't care about Donald Trump or he wasn't the uh, only man for the job to fix this country by putting America first, then eight people would have listened. And strategically, of course, you go to South Carolina and New Hampshire first, the first states of the you know, primary season when it comes to kickoff time early next year in a year. And I agree with you. I think the strategic plan is to put out policies like he's he's been hammering policy videos on Truth Social. And I told him just yesterday, the day before, I said, if you put out two of those a month, you're going to sail to the White House because America right now wants what am I going to do about health care, education, border, drugs, illegal immigration, Iran, Russia, China. They want to know how to fix these things. And his advantage is please put me his advantage is not please put me in office and I promise you what I say will work. His advantage is Look what I did. It did work. Look what the other guys did. It's crushing America. I'll do it again. And so uh, I, I hope he stays the strategic course. And I agree with you. I don't think we need to be jumping into rallies, even though those are a lot of fun. I'm guess I'm you know I don't know, but maybe we're a month or two away from even the first one. And even if we start them in a, in a little bit, maybe one every now and then is fine for for right now. We don't need to be doing four or five a month. Right. Shoot, I remember when we were doing two and three a day. Um, we're nowhere near that. And I think the message has to be based on the policies. We have to go back and recapture the suburban women, the middle road of America that launched Donald Trump into the White House in 2015 and 16. And you do that based on policy. You do that based on securing our children's future and education. You do that by taking Chinese fentanyl off the streets so kids don't die every day. And you do that by taking care of our vets and our and our men and women in uniform and not by shipping pallets of cash 
to another war that has nothing to do with us. You take care of our interests first. So when you pick up the phone call as a commander in chief and say, hey, Putin, knock it off, they will actually knock it off because we have a strategic platform of power to make that threat from. Right now, we don't have that. I mean, Joe Biden couldn't even get on the phone with Putin and and anyone else right now. And that's yep. the shocking difference that we have seen the transition between the Trump national security agenda and the Biden national security agenda. So we got a long way to go, but um, it was a promising start, um, both in New Hampshire and South Carolina. Are you surprised to see, uh, last last item, are you surprised to see the Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis uh, proxy war go hot over the course of the last couple of weeks and now seems to uh, be something that's going to be a focus of the uh, campaign, at least a little bit moving forward? He's, he's just going to try to take the 2015 model and plow all of the competition out of the way, regardless of where they are in the polls. He was getting people that were at like half a percent and hitting them just as hard as the person who was next in line or next to him, uh, you know, podium-wise on the debate stage. Yeah, look, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, um, he's going to take on whoever he feels he should. And at the end of the day, as I posted on Truth Social the other day, you know, Ron DeSantis is down there running around about talking about scoreboards. Okay, well, let's, let's do the math. In 2020, Donald Trump got a million more votes than you, Ron DeSantis, did in 2022 in the state of Florida. Conversation over. You want to talk about scoreboard? He wants to talk percentages. A million more people in the state of Florida voted for President Trump than you in the last gubernatorial election. That is an astounding number of votes for you to make up um, in a two-year period. And that should tell everybody in America where Donald Trump stands vis-a-vis -vis Ron DeSantis. And I'm not saying he's not doing a great job in Florida. He is. Uh, but there's a difference between being governor and trying to run for presidency against Donald Trump. So um, like he told Nikki Haley, do what you want, you know, do whatever's in your heart or whatever the verbiage was. I can't remember off the top of the top of my mind because Americans are going to see through all of these other candidates and they're going to look back and say, OK, President Trump did it for us once before and we need him to do it again. No, absolutely. And I hope, you know, Nikki Haley enjoyed what seemed to be a, pr a pretty nice phone call. I mean, I thought it was a nice truth that he put out there that yeah. all these people are making speculative analysis in the mainstream media. And he's like, she called me. We talked about it. I know what she said last year. She changed her mind. Good luck. You should exactly. run. But moving forward, <laughs> it's going to be you're getting slammed on all this stuff, whether it was, you know, bending the knee to Black Lives Matter or, you know, advocating for wars all over the globe. So I hope she's ready to handle that one. And she, I think she's just kind of in it for the book deal, to be honest with you afterwards. And uh, she'll be a former presidential candidate as an, uh, someone who gives an analysis on talk shows after this uh, general election season is over. Cash, we're going to live link the uh, foundation as always. And you. uh, your handle on True Social in the uh, show description today, where can we find you? Uh, one place, at, at Cash on Truth Social, at Cash on Truth Social. And then, um, yeah, just for our audience or your audience, because you guys were such a big part of it, Fight with Cash last year was able to give away $100,000 in grants to active duty service members for legal defense funds. Uh, to Jan 6 families. We bought $30,000 in holiday meals for uh, people who couldn't afford them last year. And we've sent money to other individuals in need. And we're going to try to 5X that this year. So I know people think the fight with fight with cash operation is a money-making operation. It is for charity. We don't take any of it. And um, I appreciate you guys constantly putting that stuff out there for us. So anytime you want to know what I'm doing, go to fightwithcash.com. And uh, buy some fun merch. It goes all. It goes right back into the kitty. And if you guys know of anyone anywhere in America that needs some money, 
and they're in hard times, let us know. And uh, if uh, our board will review it for free and if we can help them, we will. That's awesome. As our show continues to grow and when we have you on as a fairly regular guest now, Cash, we'll continue to uh, advocate for all the good work that you guys are doing over there with the uh, organization and how many families you've helped. We hope it gets higher than five times this year, and, and that's just us being greedy. This is the former chief of staff to the DOD, special assistant to President Trump, Chinese spy balloon expert, apparatus enjoyer. <laughs> Mr. Cash Patel, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks, all. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Take care. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Perspective. So let's talk about what's really happening. Republicans are waging a blatantly Islamophobic and racist attack on Congresswoman Omar. And I've said it before, I will say it again. The white supremacy happening is unbelievable. This is despicable. It is Congresswoman Omar who has been harassed at her job for simply existing as a Muslim woman in Congress. It is she who has been attacked by a member of this body, ridiculing her as a potential terrorist for simply existing as a Muslim woman in this Congress. So rather than bring an actual accountability, any accountability to Congress, they bring this offensive resolution to the floor. This is just a bunch of racist gaslighting. We all know it. Vote no. Here's today. The hypocrisy is obvious to the American people. You are showing who you all are, really. The gentlewoman's time has expired. Omar will not be silenced. The gentlewoman's time has expired. Omar, the gentlewoman's time has expired. That our country is failing you today through this chamber. You the, belong The gentlewoman is no longer recognized, and the Madam Speaker, when I heard that we're going to remove a member of this house from their committee for anti-semitism i raced down here because i thought finally finally in this chamber there's going to be some accountability some accountability from this conference that continues to allow its members to root for rioters to show sympathy for the insurrection a conference that harbors a wanted international criminal and has members who choose violence over voting every single day finally and so I thought, we're going to hold someone accountable for anti-Semitism. Surely it's the author of this tweet. Kanye Elon Trump, October 6th, written by Chairman Jim Jordan. October 8th, what does Kanye say? I'm going to declare DEFCON 3 on the Jews. So surely this tweet came down, right? Came down, was deleted. No. Two more months, it was kept up. Two more months. So don't come here looking at us for anti-Semitism. Look in your own damn mirror before you ever come over here. And I yield back. Leadership and voice will not be diminished if I am not on this committee for one term. My voice will get louder and stronger, and my leadership will be celebrated around the world as it has been. So take your vote or not. I am here to stay and I am here to be a voice 
against harms around the world and advocate for a better world. I yield back. On this vote, the ayes are 218, the nays are 211, with one answering present. The resolution is adopted. That was a little montage there of the vote to remove Elon Omar from the Foreign Intelligence Committee that happened on the House floor yesterday. You heard both equal parts coping and seething. <laughs> and, and, you know, we're going to be talking about it throughout the show probably with some of our guests that are coming through, but the fact of the matter is is that some Congress people did some things, and she's no longer on the committee. So I think it was uh, something that a lot of us expected to happen. We know there were some people who were on the fence maybe about you know, down the road, seeing a retaliation for this, but that's just going to be the nature of the business moving forward. You can't really prevent the inevitable from happening. Uh, I thought it was a promise kept for Kevin McCarthy. And even though he didn't make all the statements I wanted him to uh, say over the course of the last 24 hours, including one that I found very disturbing in regards to this narrative right here, I, I think he definitely uh, held the line. What do you think, Noah? Do you, does she belong on the foreign intelligence committee? I think she's probably the last person that needs to be on the foreign intelligence committee. I mean, it doesn't sound like she's, well, pro-America for one, hmm. which I feel like is probably kind of important in that particular scenario. And she's de she's definitely said some questionable things. Yeah, I just think her uh, sometimes lackadaisical approach to being a congressperson, like literally one of the three branches of government who, you know, is supposedly controlling everything, making stuff happen for this country. I, I just think they're... Probably other areas where she has a little bit more interest and uh, she can go virtue single in any of those. Of course, this, as soon as the, the House broke, the press was waiting for Speaker McCarthy and he fielded some questions. Let's hear him. They can't even be on committees. This is nothing like the last Congress where they would deny the, the rights for, for bills to even go through committee. This is nothing like the last Congress where you never had an open rule. So let's just judge the few weeks we've had now to the last Congress. This is the first time in seven years any bill has come to the floor in an open rule. Almost a decade since that has come to the, a bill has come to the floor that's not an appropriation bill. Look at what we've also done the first week in a bipartisan way. 146 Democrats joined with us where we opened a select committee on China. This is actually a fundamentally different Congress. I've had Democrats coming up to me telling me we're running it much better, especially the time allotment. They like the openness and the working. I'll give you another example for an inner workings, right? Um, there's times that I was going to be given a briefing. I call up the minority leader, take the briefing with me. Because there's ways that I look at the way we were treated in the past I don't think was right. And I'm glad you asked this question because this is a much different Congress, much more. Now the public can actually be here. You can be here. Which, how different is that? The public is going to be back in the people's house. We're going to have a state of the union where the public can actually watch it. So, yeah, I'm really excited how this is so different than the last couple of I'm really picking one side. Yeah, that's right. Let me come back to you. Go ahead. Yeah, that, that's unfair. I was really going. On Hunter Biden and uh, his calls for a federal investigation now. Oh, God, we'll get to that, I'm sure. Mm. A little bit. I mean, we touched on it at the top of our show with Cash Patel, but the fact of the matter is, is that uh, they, they weren't going to let 
that Elon Omar issue go and, and would continue to pepper the speaker and, and he would respond and take him for a ride. Let's hear it. I just want to get you to uh, comment on some of the things that uh, Leader Jeffrey said. He had a press okay. conference before you. He had these posters up of some of the words that members of your conference have said in the past. So can you just respond to some Democrats who... I, was, I wasn't at the press conference, so can you tell me an yeah, example? Yeah, well, I'm just saying he... But for example, he had comments from Marjorie Taylor Greene. Up. Is she um, on Foreign Affairs? No, no, I'm just saying... Okay, I make my case. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so buzzing. Uh, not bad, McCarthy, but uh, I don't know if, if you heard the other thing. The one thing that was like, we, we've been riding high now. I mean, we're in February, almost uh, a month even. I thought you were breaking into a Fauci voice for a second. <laughs> Those hearings will, will be coming down the pike soon enough. But it was weird. Somebody kind of took a pot shot on something that he didn't, I think, expect. And you'll have to hear it for yourself, Noah, because I know you you don't know exactly what clip I'm going to play. But the fact of the matter is, is I think Kevin McCarthy took the diplomatic response. However, it wasn't the morally correct one. And we'll talk about that in a sec. Let's hear this. One of the first things Marjorie Taylor Greene said from the oversight dais was that Ashley Babbitt was murdered. Mm-hmm. Do you think Ashley Babbitt was murdered? Or do you think the police officer who shot her was doing his job? I think the police officer did his job. Wow. Yeah. Definitely not the view of a lot of people in Congress, uh, not the view of President Trump. I know some of the biggest pundits in our orbit who we have a lot of respect for, uh, some of the hardest working ones, the Darren Beatties, the Raheem Kassams, uh, Julie Kellys, et cetera. I mean, I mean, everyone's seen the video. That That woman was murdered well it's not even so much that she was murdered it's the fact that there has been no no trial or hearing or anything about it where there can be that particular designation placed on it capitol police officer bird's been awarded a medal i know but there was no like any time there's a use of force with police officers and Mm -hmm. stuff like that there's always something Mm -hmm. Not just, like, give him a fucking medal. Can you imagine? Well, they talked about his prior investigations where he left his his duty weapon on top of a toilet after he took a crap up on Capitol Hill one mm. time. Well, you know, it's probably uncomfortable to have that. I'm surprised he wasn't in management. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he he did his job. That's, that's what he's saying. But there's been no... There's been no investigation. Mm-mm. There's been no... looking into the actual occurrence, like what was his reasoning for shooting an unarmed person that was, what, just creeping up through a broken broken doorway? At point blank range with with literally, I mean, I don't know, you know, uh, way exactly everything went down, but I saw the video multiple times from, from a couple different angles, and to me it doesn't look like that lady posed an immediate threat to anybody except the small space she was trying to, crawl through and, and she they w- need to address that they need yeah. to address that okay so these people were given an order that no matter what nobody else is allowed past this point mm-hmm. like was that was that their standing order in that case that changes things slightly yeah but at the same time like he could probably could have just fucking spartan kicked her back to the window or something yeah. that would have been just as effective yeah yeah or just get through a haymaker and pushed her back through but no i get it and and you know the fact of the matter is is that there's a lot of people who are still fighting for justice for this gal and advocating on her behalf and uh it's the two-tiered legal system though because we have all these things that are happening like that in particular like oh he's the law enforcement guy that's on the side of 
the regime, therefore he, he can do no wrong. But then you have all these other people that are literally political prisoners for being dissidents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been seeing somebody got somebody was awarded a sentence of sixty eight months for essentially trespassing this week, mm. and uh, you know it's going to continue to uh, to move along. How many of those people that were burning and looting got uh, any sentences for trespassing or burning and looting? I believe zero, because most of them were bailed out by uh, proxy packs that were oversought by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's. Uh, presidential campaign <laughs> i mean no matter where you stand politically does that sound fair like no i mean not really probably not to, i mean if you're a reasonable person granted the other side the the blue-haired meanies are not reasonable people but i mean there's got to be some crumbling on the belief system of some of these people that are just seeing this stuff happening it's like well this doesn't seem fair like yeah regardless of whether i hate these people like probably don't want to shoot some chick in the face uh Maybe don't lock people up and throw away the key without trial. That that doesn't sound cool. For selfie because, sticks in the rotunda. Yeah, because if the shoe is on the other foot, mm-hmm. I probably don't want that happening to me the next time I do the summer of love. It's, it's an excellent point. After we saw what happened in Atlanta uh, just a few weeks ago, it, it still looks like that whole two-tier. It's, you declare an emergency after they already burn a whole bunch of stuff down and wreck a couple cop cars and beat up a whole bunch of people. So, you know, but... It's just we've reached a point to where uh, committee work is beginning up on Capitol Hill, and and we're very expectant of our congressmen who campaigned on a lot of this stuff. Uh, getting to the bottom of what happened on January six is one of them. It's one of the things that Speaker McCarthy put out, and maybe he'll change his tune at some point. Part of me thinks he took the diplomatic route, which is kind of a puss boy route because these are the people that are working to protect them now, and it's only been a two year term since whatever happened up on Capitol Hill on January 6th happened. But the fact of the matter is, is that Nancy Pelosi is not giving the orders to these stormtroopers, the Capitol Police anymore. Now it's Kevin McCarthy trying to work with them. And the best way to, you know, not have a good working relationship with people is, uh, oh, yeah, I think one of the people who's still an active duty Capitol Police officer is probably working, guarding somebody's office right now, murdered a lady like right down the hall. Yeah, but, I mean, there's been no, there's been no disposition on whether or not he did his job. Right. That's, that's my issue with it. Oh, and in my issue, it's like uh, whether it's right or wrong, you should, you know, at least tell the truth. Say it needs to be looked into. Yeah. It's like he, he was there in an official capacity doing what he was told to do. However, it needs to be looked into whether it was a good use of force. Yeah, we plan on getting to the bottom of it and uh, telling you guys the truth in the most transparent way possible. How do you think dinner went down that night? You know, we did see... Uh, those pictures that were circulating online of, of Kevin McCarthy and, and independent Senator Kristen Cinema dining together. Mm. Um, do you think it was after those comments that MTG told him, like, so you're sleeping on the couch tonight? So he just no. <laughs> gave Cinema a call and said, hey, you want to go get a little bite? Mm. Delicious. Maybe a little bite later. Eesh. I don't know if we'll talk about that specifically, but uh, we're going to continue our cold open and uh, Capitol Hill Roundup right now with. Some of our next guests coming in now on the show today. He's the U.S. House representative. He's representing California's 3rd District, Congressman Kevin Kiley. Thanks for jumping back on Steak for Breakfast. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. How are things going with you, sir? It's been a busy first couple weeks to get the 118th session of Congress kicked off. You want to give us a little bit of an overview before we jump into a couple of the issues? 
Uh, sure. I mean, we're, uh, you know, sort of off to the races here. Uh, we've passed a number of bills to push back on uh, on the Biden administration. We've defunded his 87,000 uh, IRS agents. Uh, we passed a resolution yesterday uh, denouncing the horrors of socialism. Uh, we've set up a select committee uh, to investigate the weaponization of the federal government and the way that uh, our agencies are monitoring uh, and targeting Americans. Uh, I'm on the Judiciary Committee. We had our first hearing uh, a couple days ago uh, on the Biden border crisis. And so uh, we are taking our responsibility to uh, rein in the Biden administration to restore checks and balances very seriously. And uh, really, we're just getting started. Yeah, you certainly are. And uh, that's a lot of the things you campaigned on. You talked about on the show with us throughout the course of the campaign season. And now that you're up on Capitol Hill, I like all of those things. Yeah, it seems that you're definitely more than uh, following through on them. I want to stick in the uh, judiciary and talk about the start of that hearing. A little interesting way it, it, things got started. And then, you know, we, we've had some uh, congressmen also come out and already trying to, you know, file articles of impeachment against Alejandro Mayorkas about what's going on in the U.S. southern border. Being a House representative from California, you know how bad the situation is here. It is bleak to say the best. And uh, what what are you guys looking to get into now to be able to hold this administration accountable for the complete lack of, uh, you know, upholding the laws that are already on the books and continuing to break the immigration system even more since Joe Biden took office? Well, we're going to get to the facts. I mean, we have a very clear link between the many actions that Joe Biden has taken uh, since becoming president and the record number of illegal border crossings. I mean, if you look back, uh, you know, at the history of our country, uh, we have set new records the last two years each of the last two years for the number of illegal border crossings. Biden keeps breaking his own records. Uh, and uh, last month was the, the highest month on record in U.S. history for number of illegal border crossings. And so it's pretty crazy uh, to hear some members of the president's party uh, sit there and make excuses and say things like, well, what we really need is comprehensive immigration reform. And, you know, immigra illegal immigration has been a problem for a long time. I mean, the, the fact is what we need to do is secure the border. That is number one. That is separate and apart from any other conversation about immigration. And the fact that you don't have strong bipartisan support in the Judiciary Committee in the Congress for doing that, I think it's just mind boggling because for Americans, this is just common sense. You secure the border, you enforce the laws that we have. Yet that is precisely what this administration has refused to do. Yeah, and they continue to do it. We saw, uh, well, I'm pretty sure you saw it. Alejandro America sat down this weekend with MSNBC and just, you know, basically talked about what he considers accomplishments to do with the border. And, <laughs> and we've seen so many random things from, you know, mayors and governors who have claimed sanctuary state and sanctuary city status over the course of the last couple of years say, okay, a couple busloads is enough. We can't do this anymore to what's gone on up in places like New York over the course of the last few weeks. Migrants that were, you know, brought there after they crossed the U S Southern border illegally are refusing to leave luxury hotels to go into more standard uh, living quarters. And then you had, you know, a, a group of uh, migrants who walked into a Macy's and walked out with $12,000 worth of merchandise well, last it's, weekend. It's not that it was a one-time thing. It was like they literally had started a shoplifting ring of some sort. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, something that we are going to be tracking very closely here on Steak for Breakfast, but we are glad to see you on that committee. I also saw that you're going to be the chair of the subcommittee for workforce protection. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. You want to tell our listenership a little bit about that? 
Uh, yes, I think this is a very important subcommittee. I'm very happy to be chairing it uh, because you'll hear what's been happening in the American workplace in the last few years. First of all, we've had this attack on independent contractors trying to wipe out freelancers and force everyone to be a W-2 employees who can be unionized. It's been a, uh, you know, it's happened in California here uh, now for several years, uh, starting with the bill called AB5, which has, you know, been absolutely devastating for people's freedom to work and ability to earn a living uh, in our state. But then, of course, over the last couple of years, during all the COVID shutdowns, you had arbitrary lockdowns. People were told they're not allowed to work. They're not allowed to run their business, not allowed to do their job. And once they are able to go back to the workplace, they're forced to wear a mask. They're forced to uh, to get a vaccine and to present papers. And so I want to try to restore the freedom to work and the fair treatment of, of workers uh, as the chair of that subcommittee. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to track. And you know, the, the numbers that have come out of the current administration in regards to jobs and employment, people not using, uh, you know, government benefits and stuff like that have been very skewed. We've had a ton of really legitimate economic uh, advisors come on this show and people who just track this stuff, you know, for a living and say, they say one thing, but all of the other evidence just leads to another. So bringing protection to the workforce and, and getting the labor market in the United States back on the right track is definitely something we want to see you involved with. And we're glad to see you there. Last thing I want to touch with you on, actually, there's two. This week, you saw the COVID mandates for K through 12 is now going to be over before it was even really implemented. But that was something you stood up for pretty adamantly when you were here as a as a state rep in California. Were you happy to see that finally get knocked off as something that's going to be mandatory for children? Yes, I was very happy. And, you know, I think we've uh, known that this was coming, uh, but it's pretty incredible when you look back on the uh, sort of the timeline. It was October 1st of 2000. Uh, and uh, 21, when Gavin Newsom decided that he was going to, uh, you know, uh, go out and declare that this was going to be mandated for all kids. He better brag that California was the first of the nation. They put out a triumphant press release. And he thought that, you know, every other state or every other blue state, at least, was going to follow uh, his lead. He was going to be the big hero. He didn't really care what, uh, you know, this did to families or the ways in which it uh, took away the fundamental rights of parents. Well, what happened was no, not, no other state followed. California remained the only state with such a mandate. They delayed it. They were going to do it at the beginning of 2022. They delayed it. They were going to do it at the beginning of this last school year in the fall of 2022. But what happened in the meantime is that parents had organized, had rallied, had fought back. We actually killed legislation at the state capitol that was to do the same thing and was going to impose a mandate. And that forced Newsom's hand and said, okay, I'll delay it until 2023, which really was just a face-saving tactic that he, uh, you know, knew that there was going to be no public support for it. And so really it was just, uh, you know, this week that finally uh, his public health department admitted, okay, yeah, we're not going forward with this at all, especially given that the state of emergency now is supposedly going to lapse in a few weeks. No, that, that, that's perfectly put. And, and listen, for someone who's tracked you for as long as we did, we, we always talked about your great works here in the state of California before you became a pr pretty much regular guest on the show now. And, and, and to see that big victory here uh, left in your wake of your congressional win, it's, it's a major accomplishment. And, and believe me, there are a lot of families out here, especially in Southern California, who are really appreciative of the work you did uh, pushing back on this hard, which leads me to my last point. I read an article over the weekend. It was called Using the New Position to Expose Gavin Newsom. We kind of think it's more like utilizing the new position to expose Gavin Newsom. <laughs> and it goes right into the same thread of just about everything we've talked about from the broken border and, and all the other, you know, the workforce crisis all the way up to the mandates with the COVID stuff. How are you going to be able to use your house seat to, to further expose all of the bad works and, and governance that's going on here in California? And, and how do you think that ties into nationally where Gavin Newsom is trying to tell everybody, listen, even though everything's broken and everyone's leaving, 
I still want to make the rest of the United States California, which is just absolutely crazy to us. But, you know, you know better as being uh, someone who served here for such a long time. That's right. And, you know, the Sacramento Beach shouldn't be surprised because this is exactly what I campaigned on. I said that we need to show the rest of the country uh, what has happened to California because they're trying to do the same thing to the country now. And so, you know, just in the first few weeks here, I've given a speech on the House floor talking about the utter failures of Newsom's COVID policies compared to states like Florida. When you look at now objectively at the outcomes uh, after three years, I gave a speech on the House floor talking about Newsom's hypocrisy with education, how he puts his kids in private school while, uh, you know, denying school choice to millions of other families, how he uh, kept his kids in person school while he shut down schools uh, for millions of other families. Uh, even at the immigration hearing, I talked about California's sanctuary state and what a disaster uh, that has been, what a disaster sanctuary policies are uh, now across the country. And we're also, you know, looking at areas where the federal government has jurisdiction. Uh, so, for example, there is a nexus to the federal government unemployment uh, system when it comes to the EDD fraud. $31 billion at least that occurred on Gavin Newsom's watch, utter negligence, one of the biggest, probably the biggest fraud of taxpayer dollars in United States history. Yes. Uh, the House Oversight Committee is doing an investigation of that. Now, Newsom has not been cooperating, uh, but I'm going to you know, do whatever I can to make sure that he uh, has to cooperate and that we're able to get to the truth. And so this is just a start. I think that I'm, I, we're going to continue to have opportunities uh, to bring uh, accountability uh, and perhaps more importantly, public attention to exactly how these radical failed policies uh, are ruining the greatest state in the country. And how you're trying to bring ones that bring normalcy and uh, make this country strong again back. We really appreciate that. For all those who missed that that committee meeting the other day where they were talking to the uh, COVID experts and about all the money they lost, I could sum it up in pretty much about 10 seconds. The questioning went, how much money do you think we lost? Billions. How much? Tens of billions. How much? Maybe hundreds of billions. And they were like, oh, Good God. And that's kind of where it went downhill from there. So I know these committees are just getting started, and so is a lot of the great work that you're going to be doing up on Capitol Hill, Congressman. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. Is there anywhere on social media you want our listenership to follow you? Uh, sure, just on Twitter. I'm uh, at Kevin Kiley uh, CA, is in California, at Kevin Kiley CA. We'll link that one as well, and we'll look forward to sitting down with you again. Keep doing the good work up there, and uh, we really appreciate you taking time to come on Steak for Breakfast. This is the U.S. House Representative representing California 3, Mr. Kevin Kiley. Congressman, thanks for joining us today. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Take care. All right, coming in next on the show, he's a congressman that represents Florida's first district, one of our favorite firebrands. Congressman Matt Gates, thanks for joining us on State for Breakfast. Paul, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, no, it's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you? Happy Friday. It is a good Friday. Uh, Most of Congress is back in their districts, but uh, we stayed up here in Washington to really try to get some center of gravity around these debt limit negotiations. Uh, That's the next thing that has to happen in Washington. You know, there are a lot of things that pass out of either the Senate or the House, but have no chance in the other body and divided government and so we really look to you know what uh, the must-pass bills are as a mechanism for leverage to try to get the things that will uh, help curtail this government-driven inflation and hopefully get us back on track as a country yeah it seems like there's a lot of stuff on you guys got some pretty big plates and they're uh kind of overflowing with everything right now as we get started with uh committee work season up there on capitol hill we saw you uh everywhere from the house floor uh, railing on the ATF all the way up into committee work, arguing over uh, whether or not it's important to start hearings with saying the Pledge of Allegiance, which I thought was an interesting banter you had with probably one of your good friends, New York Representative Jerry Nadler. How'd that go? 
we were glad that Jerry was awake for this debate. Uh, he <laughs> isn't always, and so uh, we're we're always grateful to have his uh, uh, his consciousness as as part of our process. I did not believe that the Pledge of Allegiance was going to be controversial. I thought it could be a unifying way to begin hearings of the Judiciary Committee. Democrats spoke against my amendment and then were shamed into voting for it. So you always know you win the debate when they start the debate against you. And by the time it's over, they're literally voting with you. So uh, good to have that uh, small win for the Judiciary Committee. Uh, but look, the uh, work you talk about with the ATF, I think that's really a, a good way to open the door into how what you saw at the beginning of January really dovetails with this oversight strategy that we're trying to deploy now, right? So before this big fight over the speakership, the way we legislated was through these 4,000 page bills that you get about a day and a half to read that spend, you know, gajillions of dollars. And then you get a yes vote or a no vote. There is not a third option, really. And we think that there should be precise review of what these agencies are doing. And so on one hand, we got the rules changed so that every agency gets their budget sort of reviewed, you know, distinctly within their category of the appropriations process. So you're not, not voting on defense the same time you're voting on agriculture. You're not voting on VA the same time you're voting on the Department of Education. And, and right alongside that, we've got this oversight track where we are going to probe the depths of the weaponization of this government against our people, whether it's making lists of people engaging in unlawful surveillance, which this government has done, um, or even turning the regulatory state against our fellow Americans. So we're going to probe that and then use the funding bills as leverage to deauthorize, defund, and in some cases, hopefully abolish the agencies and practices that are so troubling to our people. No, you want to know what? There is so much stuff that you guys are into right now. Everything from the U.S. southern border, which I know you're going to be involved with as well, the weaponization of the federal government, which is obviously something that affects us all. You personally included, and and, and all the way down to things like what the ATF is trying to ban now to the point where we're, slingshots are going to be eventually illegal. Before we get into any of these specific issues, there's, there's one thing I, I asked about. I had a long conversation with uh, someone who, who you're fairly good friends with recently, and, and we talked about, you know, when you want to talk about this narrative, the weaponization of the government, we went back and looked at a couple New York Times articles, one from a couple years ago where the completely false and debunked whatever narrative that, you know, the mainstream media decided to run with regarding your personal situation, all the way up to an article they put out more recently where it said, like, and it's something that we've talked about on our show, Steak for Breakfast, for so long. We've been doing this for, you know, about over four years now, we've watched your growth, not maturity wise or age wise, but just like the process that you've gone through to work your way up as one of the people in Congress who is not only respected across both chambers, but the fact of the matter is you are really the firebrand that you, you know, have the podcast name for. And we just want to talk about how was it going through all that, you know, stuff that started a couple years ago when people were like just making up random stories about you all the way up to like when we get to the Speaker of the House vote and it's like Matt Gates is leading the charge to literally get this country back on track right now. Well, I know uh, two things really guided, you know, me and, and guided my wife during those those challenging months. One, God never gives us anything we cannot handle. I firmly believe that. I think even in your toughest moments when you're facing 
challenge and grief, uh, you have to know that we wear the armor of God and God has put us and appointed us in that moment, even if it's an uncomfortable moment, yeah. even if it's a, a really, a really uh, straining moment, you've been put there by God and you need to be tough and you need, and you need to just persist. And, and the second principle is that I never let the process be the punishment. You know, I, I saw this with President Trump. They were hoping that with all this Russia hoax nonsense and the steel dossier that was debunked, that they could disrupt him from his major goal of getting our economy moving again so that every American could have more hope in their future and in the future of their family. And he just was relentless about the goals that he had campaigned on. And so I really drew a lot of inspiration from that. And I thought, you know what, uh, I'm here in Congress. Uh, these folks that lie about me in the media don't get to decide who my district sends to fight for them. And it made me just more determined than ever to wake up every day and work for my constituents and my constituents alone. And there are a lot of corrupt forces here in Washington. The media, like you've just outlined uh, very well, but also the special interests and the lobbyists. And I am the only Republican in the Congress who doesn't accept any donations from any PACs or any lobbyists, the House or Senate. And you know, uh, I think that that does set me apart and it probably makes me a target in some ways because if they can't compromise you in one way or another, then they try to destroy you. But uh, I've got a pretty good relationship with my district now, folks around the country. I think people know what they get when they sign up to fight alongside me. And we look forward to now having even more exquisite tools to engage in that battle against the swamp because the swamp had created the system that had operated under Nancy Pelosi and Paul Ryan and John Boehner. Yep. And for Kevin McCarthy to get the get that gavel, uh, we were going to force structural changes on this place. And, and that's not an end unto itself, right? We can't just celebrate that as if it's its own summit. It's just a, a series of tools now that we have to use to drive better decision making. Oh, it certainly is. And, uh, you know, when you look at just the whole process to where you are now and you talk about those special interests and how you've never uh, fixed your wagon to them and how you can kind of move freely, uh, pretty much operate wherever you want up on Capitol Hill because you don't have to answer to anybody, like you said, except to your constituents. We've seen it go from like a, a case of where you were smeared so bad to now that recent New York Times article. You, you are feared because when you come to the table and you say, listen, or maybe not even demands, but this is the way that it's going to be. You are going to fight tooth and nail to the very end to make that happen. And we think to, you know, continue to watch that growth process and how much of a great job you've done on behalf of the American people and, you know, the nationalist populist movement. And just, you know, it sounds cliche, but really wanting to make this country great again because we've gotten so far off track in such a short amount of time since President Trump's been out of office. It's just past the point of concerning for families to where people are just beat up beyond belief now. And, uh, I don't even think like any kind of poll number or direction of the country is even really accurate because people are just walking around like zombies. They go to the store. It's like everything's through the roof. They go to the gas station. They, they're getting second and third jobs. And, you know, Joe Biden just came out this morning and said, like, the State of the Union great. Economy's great. Not taking any questions. Have a great weekend. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure you probably expect nothing less from him. But the fact of the matter is there are people literally fighting up on Capitol Hill right now, and you're leading that charge. We're really appreciative of it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I don't expect uh, Joe Biden is going to sizzle us with his oratory at the State of the <laughs> Union. And frankly, 
it'll be disappointing when he when he leans more into the state of Ukraine than the state of United the United States. Yeah, I mean, we just saw this last week another two billion dollars uh, in drawdown that they are planning to send over there in material and other assistance. And you just have to wonder, like, when is it enough? And are we extending the this war by putting you know more lethal materiel into the theater and into the conflict and are we really complying with our own laws about making sure that we know where all that ends up like i i don't think it's some big coincidence that just as republicans are taking over in the congress Zelensky has decided that corruption is his number one issue and he goes and fires uh, a pretty good batch of his senior allies associates confidants like if republicans weren't coming into the majority as the only party with any group demanding transparency and oversight and audit and end-to-end monitoring, then my suspicion is those folks would still be just watching the cash run over the gunnels. Yeah, yeah, I think what, you know, we, we talk about it all the time. We actually had a pretty big segment on Ukraine today talking about, you know, the never-ending money-making machine that it's turned into for the military-industrial complex, and then all the stuff that you just mentioned going on with Zelensky. I feel like we're just getting started. We had former chief of staff to the DOD, Cash Patel, on the show today. He feels the same way, too, and there's very few people who could bring a quick end to this uh, conflict over there. I think we all know who one of them is for surely. He talked about it in an extent over the weekend, but it seems like the people that are involved now, actually the, the people who are in play up on Capitol Hill and you know talking about our national defense just aren't interested in getting to that solution anytime soon. It is disappointing that there is a broad bipartisan consensus in the Congress to continue to fund this war, but the tide is turning with the American people. Just this last week, NBC News came out with a poll that only 49% of the American people believe that we should send more money there. So that is way down from the beginning of this conflict, and 55% of the country disapproves of Joe Biden's handling of Ukraine. So that's not going to remain stagnant. That That is going to keep coming sort of the direction of my vision of foreign policy, which is that we focus our efforts on the fights that matter and we ensure America always holds the high ground, but that we don't engage ourselves needlessly in every skirmish in the world. And we don't we don't try to like turn, you know, <laughs> the desert in Arabia into some Jeffersonian democracy. <laughs> yeah, we can't be doing that uh, everywhere and, and every time anymore. Congressman, do you think that Congress, especially in the in the Republican House now, is going to be stronger and a little bit more secure, probably uh, using a little bit better language now that Elon Omar was voted off the Foreign Intelligence Committee yesterday? Well, I got to tell you guys, I was not waving my pom-poms with yeah. that vote yeah, because I know that that boomerang comes back around. And if the new rhythm we get into in the Congress is that every time power changes hands, you've got to go and nuke somebody off of a few committees, I'm probably going to be at the top of that list (laughs) if Democrats take over again. And while with Schiff and Swalwell, you could very easily tie uh, their removals to the things they had done. I mean, they literally endangered our country by lying about intelligence. That That is not speech. That is an act. Whereas... If you find the speech of Ilhan Omar very objectionable, and I usually do, objectionable speech becoming the standard for removal is something that I, I, I just don't really abide. Now, that said, Ilhan Omar had no problem with that standard because she voted to remove Marjorie Taylor Greene 
from her committees, even though Marjorie had taken no act that would have justified that at all. They right. just did like things that she had said before she was in Congress. And so there had to be uh, something to sort of put an end to this. I hope we don't do this anymore. Uh, and, you know, while others are out there banging their chest about, you know, the defeat of anti-Semitism over this action, uh, I would suggest that anti-Semitism is the argument today. But what are they going to do? You know, throw me off the Judiciary Committee, you know, a few years from now because they say I use some anti-trans trope that I'm, you know, unaware of. Lord knows what. I mean, they threw Dr. Gosar off of his committees for sharing an anime meme. So, I mean, it's uh, not outside the realms of possibility. They could probably tie anything to anyone and make it seem legitimate. As long as they have the majority in the votes, it doesn't matter. They'll make it seem awful. Uh, they didn't have the majority or the vote yesterday, and they still made it seem awful. But there was a lot of great memes that came out of that, so we were completely fine with it. Yeah, no, the... Uh I'm not an expert on anime, but I'm told it is not real. <laughs> it, it definitely isn't real. It was funny, but it, but it, but it wasn't real for sure. Uh, we have some really great meme makers in the America First movement, so we're always giving them credit where credit is due. One thing I noticed over the course of the uh, Speaker of the House vote that several people have asked me on when they said we finally get you on the show – is there, is there like a new uh, budding eye-to-eye, maybe professional relationship with AOC going on? We saw you guys sidebar in a couple times, and uh, I don't know, maybe you guys were talking about what everybody was going to be eating in Kevin McCarthy's office in between votes or, or what was going on, but do you guys see eye-to-eye on a couple things? First of all, if AOC or I were eating anything in Kevin McCarthy's office at that time, we would have needed a food tester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But, uh, but look, there is regular... Uh, dialogue, discourse, negotiation among the members on the floor every day in the House of Representatives. The only difference is you got to see it this time because the cameras were allowed dynamic angles. Now that House rules have been adopted, those camera angles are restricted to just being able to point at the microphones. So if you want to have a conversation with a colleague about a mutual area of interest, uh, you typically you know, don't get that broadcast throughout the country i don't mind people knowing that i talk to democrats on the floor because oftentimes you know they're wanting to figure out what my perspective is on something i'm trying to understand how they're going to come at a particular issue and sometimes there's stuff we can agree on i mean in the past aoc and i have literally sponsored legislation together to democratize access to psychedelics and uh mdma for veterans in particular who were struggling with PTSD. Uh, So there are issues that sometimes unite people across the spectrum. I'm sure she's not going to add me to her Christmas card list. (laughs) And, you know, she probably won't be coming to my birthday party. But uh, when we have moments on the floor, you know, to understand kind of the landscape and the battlefield, uh, that's helpful. And look, there are times when the populist right and the populist left have more in common with one another than we do with the establishment. Sure, and sure. a lot of people don't recognize that, but you know, when we try to go and repeal surveillance authorities, yeah, guess what? You know, it's going to be easier to get the votes of AOC and the rest of the squad than it is some of my Republican colleagues who are more enamored with the, with the security state. Yeah, I mean, that's the fact of the matter. We know it. We wanted to remind our listenership of that. And and sometimes, like you said, it's those small little opportunities of bipartisanship that make all the difference in things that, let's just say, some of the bigger 
industrial complexes or, or medical fields or lobby groups don't really want to get past. And you make those kind of like, I don't even want to call them weird, just like non-ordinary alliances that, that hammer home something that really benefits the American people. And it shows that, uh, you know, even though everybody comes out on, on Sunday morning and goes across the, the, the legacy media news circuit and has their sound bites, when it comes down to like getting to work, sometimes you guys can work together. Sure. I'm willing to work with anyone and everyone to, you know, end wars, secure the border, to take on big tech. And even if someone is approaching one of those issue sets for a different reason than I am, if I'm able to have an alliance that 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 drives the ball forward, uh, I'm I'm always willing to do that. Oh, They're not always willing with me, by the way. <laughs> sometimes sometimes you get it where like one of these members will be like, all right, I'll work with you on this gates. And they'll go back and tell their like, you know, granola crunching, <laughs> uh, you, you know, uh, hacky stack playing, drum circle wandering out of staff that they're going to work with me on, on something and like the staff will threaten a revolt. Mm. Ain't that always the case? It's the blue hair meanies that'll get you every time. Oof. Congressman, this has been awesome. I tell you what, working well with people, you worked well with our listenership today. We've been waiting a long time for you to come on. We hope after this great interview, you'd be uh, more inclined to come back on a, on a regular basis. We'd love to host you anytime, and you've always got a home on Yo, State for breakfast. Where's the studio? Where's the studio? How do I come find you guys? So hey. I'm uh, like around the country. Next time you're in San Diego, come on down. Yeah. Oh, now I have a reason to go to San Diego. Perfect. I'm sure your wife would really appreciate you for that. The weather's lovely this she time would. of year. So she would. We're going to live link your congressional website and the Firebrand podcast in the uh, show description today. What's your social media for anybody that, I don't know how they can't be following you if they're following Steak for Breakfast, but just in case there's some new listeners. I am only 15,000 away from 2 million on my personal Twitter account, at Matt Gates. So do me a favor, give me a follow, and let's keep the ball rolling. Here and bump incoming. This is the uh, Firebrand representing Florida One. Congressman Gates, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you, guys. The overwhelming majority of people understand that a third world war would mean the destruction of the West. They don't want that. Why would they want that? They live here. Only the Chinese government wants that. And yet, despite that total lack of popular support, it looks like as of tonight, we're going to have that war anyway. And that war will be waged, connoisseurs of irony will be delighted to know, in the name of, quote, democracy. We're going to have a war for democracy that nobody voted for or wants. Shouldn't we have a popular referendum on the war for democracy? (laughs) No. It's almost hilarious, really. But it's sad, too. And you've got to wonder how it happened. A year after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we are much farther from a negotiated settlement and much, much closer to a nuclear conflict. How? Well, that happened because of lying. Dishonesty made it possible. Consider the amazing case of Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Graham is the most aggressively liberal Republican in the U.S. Senate. On the two issues that define our moment, immigration and foreign policy, Lindsey Graham is strongly on Joe Biden's side. Lindsey Graham believes that Ukraine's borders are much more important than our own borders. Here he is last month demanding that American taxpayers, who were themselves being invaded even as Lindsey Graham was speaking, that American taxpayers must send M1 Abrams tanks to Zelensky and his wife. Watch. We're almost in World War I type battle conditions in the east. 
it's impossible, in my view, to dislodge the Russians uh, by the Ukrainians unless they have tanks. We also believe that uh, longer-range rockets will help uh, stop the counteroffensive that is building in the east. The goal is to dislodge the Russians from Ukraine by helping the Ukrainian military uh, in that endeavor, give them the weapons they need to beat the Russians on the battlefield. So there he is standing with fake war hero Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, who may be almost as liberal as Lindsey Graham. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an impromptu press conference. It was part of a strategy. And not long after that, Joe Biden indeed dutifully sent the tanks. Now, Lindsey Graham is demanding that the Pentagon send F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine. Arming the Ukrainian military with F-16s would mean direct American involvement in a war against nuclear-armed Russia. From there, it is a direct and possibly very short line to a nuclear exchange. It is lunacy. True lunacy. But it's also Lindsey Graham's stated position. He's an utterly committed neocon. Neocon politics are what he cares about to the exclusion of everything else. He has no children. He's not worried about the future. But you knew that, of course. Here's the weird and revealing part. And the reason we're telling you all of this, Lindsey Graham is the most flamboyant neocon in the Oh, he, there's people that how long do you have to train to be an F-16 pilot? Mm. I mean, <laughs> without going to the Top Gun Academy. Oh, come on. You don't think they're going to pull Tom Cruise over to train the Ukrainians? Goodness. Ukraine forever rolls on. And that was Tucky Hammer and Lindsey Graham. He was getting ready to continue that segment into uh, he was going to segue there and, and do like the weird correlation relationship that we covered on our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast podcast. And, you know, it's one of those things where, what can you say? Uh, Donald Trump and Lindsey Graham is like literally the odd couple. Uh, Lindsey Graham is now going to advocate and and stump for Donald Trump to be president. However, if Donald Trump becomes president, Lindsey Graham doesn't get to do all of his favorite things while Donald Trump is president, which is forever wars and amnesty for everybody. So I just don't understand the demographic. Tucker doesn't either, but the, the reading between the lines there is talking about how There is a negotiation table somewhere, and the two sides that need to be sitting at it are so far away from even thinking about anything to do with that is that we're we're reaching a breaking point to where I don't know how you could even consider Russia reacting in a way that, you know, responds to what's going on right now, which is like 50 American tanks and, and close to over 80 tanks from Germany. I get the Patriot missile batteries heading over there. And then this whole thing with, with planes, it's like, you know, Joe Biden told everybody months ago that Ukraine was not going to get U.S. tanks. They've got U.S. tanks now. Just this week before he committed today, another $2.2 billion, which brings our border wall total up to 49 now. Uh, cash funding aid and military equipment that we've sent over to Ukraine it would equal 49 U.S. border walls that Donald Trump originally proposed back in his first term and the government was shut down twice for. Uh, we will eventually see planes if this does not get derailed in some way, shape, or form. And the big thing that nobody's talking about, you know, we, we, we talked about it with Cash Patel and, and, and a couple other of our guests. I know Raheem Kassam also alluded to it when he's been on our shows. Ukraine is getting their absolute asses kicked. Uh, in this war right now and and are just not doing a good job of uh, utilizing the equipment that we're giving them. Well, I'm looking at uh, what the military aircraft that's operated by Ukraine currently, I don't know if this, you know, website that I'm looking at, but they got MiGs, they got uh, SU-17, 25, 27s, they got some bombers. 
I mean, it all looks, you know, fairly outdated. Isn't like the MIG, like the, the OG, like that's like the Top Gun, like, oh yeah, there's going to be a MIG. In the original Top Gun, <laughs> yeah, not the, the original. Yeah. I mean, the helicopters all look like cartoons. A couple of them look normal, but yeah. I mean, the, one of these one of these helicopters is called a hormone, mm. KA twenty five hormone. I'm, pr- I'm sure that's probably not how it's pronounced. But. Well, what if you say it in a Zelensky voice? <laughs> KA twenty five hormone, M- much Ukrainian, <laughs> Ukrainian. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that we are here right now, and it seems like very few people are talking about. It's not even peace. It's just. Figuring out how we could lower the temperature to where we're at right now to where it's like, well, the temperature is not going to lower until we stop giving them money because until they have a reason to, well, yeah, maybe we do the peace talks. Like until you start like not getting the support and things become more of a stalemate, nothing's going to change. Like if we keep pumping money into this, why would they stop? Like we're literally sending pallets of cash, like actual pallets of cash to the Ukraine because they don't have any way to, for us to like Venmo them money. Mm. <laughs> like what you think that money's not like just going into people's pockets. Like, come on. Well, I mean, it's already been proven that it is. Zelensky had the biggest corruption crackdown in the history of. Yeah. And that's, and that's just, just like, uh, letting people take the fall for stuff in our government. Of like, course. all right, well, you know the shit's fucked up at the border, so I'm gonna fire the the dep- or the commissioner. Who are, who would they fire? Uh, Mayorkas? Ma- no, eh. the guy they actually fired recently. Oh yeah, the commissioner for one of the, uh, yeah, the border agencies. Yeah, so the commissioner from one of the border agencies, you get rid of him, and that's literally just to be like, well, we got rid of that guy. He was the one who was stealing the pallets of cash. Not us, obviously. But then he had the biggest numbers ever the following month. Oh, well, that's not the fact. No, it was, that's because that guy. Residual numbers. Uh, residual numbers. <laughs> there you go. We'll hear from the Department of Homeland Security's head a little bit later in the show. Uh, I saw a good piece uh, over the weekend. Nigel Farage did a little bit of a, you know interview, and he was talking about how not only is the U.S. complicit in their bankrolling of this operation, but the virtue signaling that has kind of egged everybody on, uh, which basically – the entirety of Europe has done since the start of this conflict is one of the biggest uh, inflammatories. Let's hear him. Who else would appear on LBC Radio than the leader, former leader of the Liberal Group in the European Parliament, total Euro fanatic, Guy Verhofstadt. Yes, my old friend from the European Parliament. Guy? This is a little clip of what he had to say. It's really an attempt by Putin to restore, uh, yeah, I should say, yeah, the old Soviet Union. Uh, the only difference is that the Communist Party is then replaced by, by his cronies. That, that, that is what he's trying uh, to do. And uh, a united Europe, uh, certainly on, 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 on defense matters, uh, would make uh, an enormous difference. I, I think maybe uh, without Brexit, maybe there was no invasion. I don't know. Stop uh, it. I, I you what? Did I miss something? Yes, he said it. He said the Ukraine invasion was because of Brexit. Yes, he is a fool, foaming at the mouth, ranting, dangerous maniac. It's because of people like him that I thought it was vital that we did leave the European Union. Mr. Hofstadt, let me remind you of something. In 2014, a democratically elected leader of Ukraine was brought down in a coup by people in the squares of Kiev waving European Union flags. And this endless, relentless 
march to the east of the European Union and, and implicit that not far behind was NATO led to me giving a speech in 2014 in the European Parliament where I said our actions will give Mr Putin a causes belli and I said there will be a war in Ukraine. They hated me for saying it then. They hate me even more for saying it now. They say because I said that it means I support Putin. I don't. They, this organisation that was supposed to keep the peace, they have done more than anybody to provoke what I still believe is an unnecessary war. And, and where do you see the inaccuracies there with his statement? Mm -mm. And he called it a lot of times, you know, when, when the CIA helped orchestrate this coup back in 2014 under the direction of the Obama administration, and they inserted Zelensky, pulled him out of the stilettos. <laughs> did they, what, did they just like a casting call for that? or? Well, technically they did because Ukraine's Got Talent was one of the top shows. Oh, shit. So, but, you know... We have we have seen this spiral, and, and listen, NATO on several documented occasions have said their goal is not to push east to neutralize Russia. They have ignored the sovereignty and the ability to feel secure, and it has nothing to do with Vladimir Putin. I could give two shits about that guy. Merciless killer, complete scumbag, like global manipulator, opportunist to make our economy and everything else shitty. Like, there's nothing good about the guy. Mm -mm. But the fact of the matter is, if he's the ruler of a sovereign nation, and over the course of the last decade or two, he sees this shit steamrolling eastward across Europe, and next thing you know, it's in his backyard. And uh, European Union leads to NATO, leads to no more backyard. So he, he didn't like the rezoning, so he did a little rezoning of his own. Might not have had the permits. Mm. And, uh, He's you know. to tear those down if he ever sells the place. Mm. <laughs> what about the uh, indoor plumbing? Oh, yeah, of course. Track lighting? It's moved our toes to the line of what uh, everybody knows is coming. Let's hear the European Union weigh in. For a long conflict, it is to deliver more and heavier weapons to mm. Ukraine. Mm -hmm. That is the best way to bring peace. <laughs> but what? Yeah. We cannot allow Putin to win this war. Oh. If he gets success in Ukraine, success, he will continue. And a Putin success in Ukraine. So the only way to achieve peace is to bring success and heavier weapons to the theater. The only way. Bigger and heavier weapons. Peace by... Boom. Superior firepower? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I watch it and I'm looking for things that are going to fit into, like, you know, the show script and, and how it kind of all just falls into place as we get closer to game day. And I'm just like, it's like we're living in a movie. Like, I could literally type anything into the search browser that I want and it comes up because it's really happening. Yeah. It's, it's never been like that before. So... Cookie Monster sat down for an exclusive interview mm. with Fox News this weekend. And uh, he's talking about reverse engineering the narrative that we just heard from the European Union. Oh, I thought you meant reverse engineering all the equipment that we're, that's going to get captured. <laughs> Whatever doesn't get eventually nuked. The fact, you know, as Europe's saying they must move east, he's claiming that as soon as we stop giving him money and the best weapons that money can buy... Putin's going to immediately start moving west. Let's hear our favorite Sesame Street character wearing a jumpsuit. There are some lawmakers in Washington that say enough with aid to Ukraine. 
What should those individuals understand about the consequences of reducing military aid to your country? I believe that if we will fall, then he will capture Moldova very fast, and then the Baltic countries. And then there will be a war with Poland for part of the Polish territory. And he will have an influence not only over the east of Europe, but will go further on. Ukraine is a wall that is protecting from the return of the USSR from its influence. So if all these lawmakers, with all due respect, if they want to have a return of the USSR's influence under the leadership of Putin, well, if they want. What do you believe is stopping the United States and Ukraine's NATO allies from providing your country with more advanced weapons and fighter jets? We're grateful for everything we receive. Still, one of the versions is that the United States and some Europeans are afraid that we could hit the territory of Russia. I want to reach them. We want them to be afraid of us. But once again, we're talking about ourselves. We are defending our territory. And all of that could be avoided if Russia would simply stop launching missiles at us. Victory How come he's not speaking English now? Victory is not achieved as soon as you stop giving us money. <laughs> He can only he can only do the prepared statements, I guess. Did you notice the cuff? Did you notice stop? Did you hear Fox News there stumping for planes for Ukraine? Mm. Hey, Christmas is right around the corner. I know who's asking who wants an F sixteen. Is that going to fit in your stocking? Your your patent leather stocking. Where does it end? And, and the it doesn't end. It's no. the military industrial complex. It is designed to go forever, forever, and ever. You know, there has been a couple voices of reason in this. We keep mentioning it. Some of the great journalists and pundits who have weighed in on this. But we are starting to get very little, minor even, traction up on Capitol Hill. Much to the dismay of uh, our favorite Werther's original spokesman, mm. Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who, I don't know if you heard, uh, you know how Commerce, the, the Commerce Committee in the, in the Senate is like the big boy of, of, you know, Senate committees. He booted... Florida Senator Rick Scott and Utah Senator Mike Lee off for voting against him for leader Ooh. after the midterm elections. Mm. Yeah, definitely some uh, repercussions there. But someone else who's who's been holding the line and, and who we officially know didn't vote for Mitch McConnell to be minority leader is uh, Ohio Senator J.D. Vance, nice. who's hit the ground running. He jumped on uh, the larger apparatus with Papa Bannon to talk about it. If Ukraine is as important as the Biden administration and way too many Republicans say it is, then why isn't Europe stepping up and doing its job? Why are we footing the majority of this bill even today? The argument often made is that if Putin marches through Ukraine, then that he won't stop until he reaches Berlin. Well, number one, isn't that the problem of the Germans? And number two, the Germans Ooh. sure as hell aren't acting like they're worried about Vladimir Putin. Why are we so worried about what he can do instead of worrying about our own national interest? And that's the thing. It's like reading between the lines that is the bullshit narrative in the mainstream media. We all know Ukraine is not winning this conflict. We can all pretty much agree on that. Yeah, no, there's no fucking way. We also know that Vladimir Putin does not intend to invade the rest of his European neighbors because guess what? Do you think they'd act, be acting a little bit differently? If, if they he, actually thought he was going to? Yeah, roll right through Ukraine. Listen, if you listen to all the mainstream media, oh, Russia's getting their ass kicked. They're in the meat grinder. They're losing hundreds of thousands of people and all these top you know, uh, people in their military. And, oh, it's so awful. Like, how could they ever recover from this? Putin's weakened. They should 
they should do a coup and they should kill him and they should do all this bad. And then it's but then we should actually continue to give them stuff because otherwise they could take the entirety of Europe. Because yeah, because you, you know it's better. They're losing so bad. We should we should beat them worse. Er, with tanks mm. and jets and Patriot missile bat. That's the whole thing right there. You have to be able to listen between all of the garbage you hear that comes in and out of your ears and and sit down and really start to analyze. Be like. Yeah, I keep hearing that Russia's getting their asses kicked, but we keep sending them on average two point five billion dollars a month in addition to all the big bills we send them, and uh, it just doesn't make any sense. And we're sending them untraceable cash. I love it. <laughs> one person who's been calling for peace from day one, the only man in the modern era who did not start forever wars, he ended them, and did not bend the knee, bow in respect, or do whatever kind of other welcome uh, any other world leader expects when, when some of these losers from that represent the United States go over there and kiss their ass so they won't do anything bad to us. Donald Trump weighed in with one of his campaign-related policy videos regarding this. Let's hear him. The situation in Ukraine is very dangerous, explosive, and escalating by the day. Joe Biden's weakness and incompetence has brought us to the brink of nuclear war. And now Biden is doing what he said 10 months ago would lead to World War Three. <laughs> like he is sending it. in American tanks. It's far past the time for all parties involved to pursue a peaceful end to the war in Ukraine before this already horrific catastrophe spirals out of control and ends up leading indeed to World War Three. And this would be a war like no other war, because this would be a nuclear war. As I have said many times before, Russia's invasion of Ukraine would have never happened if I was in the White House. Not even thinkable, not even a possibility. We must end this ridiculous war and demand peace in Ukraine now before it gets worse. And believe it or not, it would be easy to do. It would be very easy to do. You believe yeah, it, it would have never happened. It would have never happened. There's yeah. no there's no fucking alternate universe where this would have happened if Trump was still president. I mean, I know he's he's joked at campaign rallies and said he he literally told Vladimir Putin if you, if you send one tank, a boot crosses the line into Ukraine, I'm nuking Moscow. I don't know if that's true or not, but I mean, he you do remember his good friend Abdul. Abdul. What did he do? He he took a picture of of his house and said, "Hey, we're watching you. If one more U.S. serviceman's died, that'll be gone, and so is all of your family. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, peace through strength does mean carrying a pretty big stick. And, uh, you know, things that are going on in Ukraine right now are so far off the rails that you hope at some point diplomacy will succeed. But when you just look at... Well, it's not going to succeed unless they actually try it. The empty suit in the White House, the absolute disgustingness that is General Milley, Secretary Austin checking out military bases in the Philippines uh, with, with the prospectus of now people are saying, oh, yeah, we'll totally beat a war. We will be 100% at war with China by 2025. Like, that's what we fucking need right now because at this rate, it doesn't look like the Ukraine crisis and, and conflict over there is, is settling down anytime soon, and we're steamrolling through 2023. So now mark your calendars. Mm. Yeah. We'll open up a new front and start funding another war uh, with, with China by 2025. And it's like, when at some point do some of these guys who, who want the forever wars, let's just say the ones in the Senate like the Lindsey Grahams, and they say, like, 
this might really do, I mean, I don't have kids and I'm not married, but this might kind of affect my retirement plans. And, and I hope it's not to the fact that like I've lived a good life and I'm just going to line my pockets till the day that I die instead of figuratively speaking, literally speaking mm. now, Be- because we're getting pretty close to it. So, you know, we, we, we saw another uh, war loving person throw her hat in the ring for uh, the president of the United States, Nikki Haley, who wants to invade everywhere 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 and fund everything Mm. and and as you know that field continues to broaden itself we'll we'll bring you that coverage but we're going to keep rolling right here we're going to switch gears right now and start talking about uh some of the other things that are really important to you and that's big tech all right coming in next here on steak for breakfast he does a little uh tech policy down at the heritage foundation he's one of our great friends we call him our tech expert jake denton thanks for coming back on the show Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me again. Oh, it's our pleasure. Well, busy times for you as always. There's so much new stuff coming out there, but we're going to stay with a little bit of the old before we get into that because TikTok is definitely poisoning the minds of our young children and endangering our national security on a minute-by-minute basis and not getting any better. What are some of the latest developments you saw there and what are some of the things you're uh, seeing as we try to combat this uh, You know, application from the CCP? Yeah, well, we've been talking about uh, TikTok on this show for months now, it seems like. Every episode we come on, we talk TikTok, and it feels like we might finally be getting some momentum behind, you know, maybe a ban, at the very least a U.S. sale. It seems increasingly probable, but, you know, we're really pushing for the ban just because the more we learn about its impacts on, you know, the the next generation of American citizens, as well as, you know, just our national security, you see that the the national security threat expands across just data security. It really is something that encompasses every aspect of our society. You know, it gives China the ability to control the minds of the children. It gives them the ability to seed propaganda. And at the end of the day, the data stuff just continues to get worse and worse in terms of what we think they could potentially be taking. Um, so Senator Hawley recently put forward a piece of legislation that would do the you know best case scenario of federally banning uh, TikTok. Um, and it also is very similar to the bill that we saw uh, just before Christmas from Congressman Gallagher and Con- uh, Senator Rubio uh, that also looks to to federally ban. And so the coalition's building. Um, you know, we got a hearing on the calendar now with the Energy and Commerce Committee towards uh, March. And, you know, we're we're just kind of full steam ahead trying to get this done for the American people. Yeah, it's something that we really need to address. I don't think, you know, the more and more videos I see people, especially in like uh, the conservative uh, orbit kind of share where it shows like these big influencers that are using TikTok and now they're making it more normal to like you said, the World Economic Forum narrative, the, the whole Davos spin come into it. People are eating like bugs for like eating competitions and like everybody's promoting the Oculus, which is like the digital version of living in the pod and the whole metaverse angle and stuff like that. It's just really getting to a point right now where where if we don't pump the brakes on this, we're really going to lose this gen- this whole generation of children that were affected by the pandemic and locked down digitally over the course of like, you know, two years, some more are now kind of being force fed this stuff in their daily lives. I tell you what, my kids like getting up and they like watching like funny videos and people eat hot food every day. But me and my wife try to pump a break on the amount of uh, stuff they're taking. We tell them to go play with their toys or go play outside or go to sports. But oh, yeah, all the stuff that happened during the lockdowns make them even more susceptible to the damage that this stuff is going to cause. Yeah. Yeah, it, it certainly does. And, uh, you know, to see some of our Congress people really working hard to get this thing uh, banned federally, it's it's a great 
you know, move forward in, in the fight that's, and, and there's so much stuff that now the Republican house is getting to work that they're taking care of. But this TikTok thing is something that they need to address because it just continues to get more popular. And, uh, it's like the, the people who are talking about it at our level and the complete disconnect between like all the zoomers and then the kids underneath them, they have no idea about the dangers of this thing. And I think that's the scariest part about it. Absolutely. And I think you guys kind of perfectly nailed it there. For too long, we really focused entirely on the data privacy angle, right? And that was the entire narrative behind the ban. Uh, and then this kind of alternative solution came about of a U.S. sale. And we were, you know, looking at it like, hold on a second, you know, even if we remedy a lot of these, you know, uh, textbook national security concerns of, you know, data privacy, IP theft, things of that nature, we still have, you know, all of the societal, you know, uh, issues that are going to continue to snowball and continue to get worse. Um, and so in many ways, the problem has evolved since that initial attempt to ban it when, you know, President Trump made that leap. Um, into this like entire new issue where, uh, you know, parents are now looking over their child's shoulder and realizing the types of depraved content they're consuming. And this isn't, you know, people often get lost in the fact that it's short form content. And, you know, these are only, you know, 30 second clips, but they're on the screen, you know, they're watching 30 second clips for more than, you know, a couple hours a day. That's a lot of content. That's yeah. a lot of opportunity to see different ideas and uh, things inside their head when the parent isn't looking. And so, you know, they plant those seeds and you have no idea how they'll grow and how it'll shape the child long term. No, and, and listen, as a dad who has young children and they're dialed into the digital age, I know exactly what you're talking about. Even though the clips are, so, you know, anywhere between like 15 and 30 seconds, sometimes when I see them like swiping like so fast or they're listening to the same stupid one over and over. And I, I have to tell my kid, like, listen, let's put the phones down. Let's give it a rest and uh, go find something else to do because at the end of the day, you're just annoying me. Like the, the Chinese... Communist Party is stealing all of your data. They're tracking you uh, geolocation wise, and you know they're they're influencing you on the app. But now it's annoying me. So at that point, <laughs> it's time to put the phones down and go find something else to do. Jake, I want to segue here because one of the other things I know this has really uh, piqued Noah's interest over the course of the last month or so is the Chat GPT. Uh, this thing is kind of really crazy when you talk about the developments in uh, AI. Last night I saw, well, I think somebody shared a TikTok video. Someone had a 3D printer that made a hand that could hold a pen. And when they used the chat GPT app, as it was making the computer-generated narrative, the hand was writing the paper for the person. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's gotten to that level. But do you want to kind of unpack this a little bit for our listenership, maybe people who don't know what this is, and what are some of the big concerns about it? Yeah, this kind of took a lot of people by surprise. It really felt like it came out of nowhere, you know, that you have this new company that emerges that's getting all sorts of seed money from, you know, top companies like Microsoft. And it is basically the first consumer uh, available AI, right? I mean, you're able to plug in anything to it and it seems to be able to give you an answer. And so in the early weeks, we saw basically its full uh, potential, right? I mean, we you could put anything in there and it could write you a research report to tell you a joke. Um, and as it kind of grew in popularity, it actually was outpacing every other, you know, social media platform by almost a metric of 10. It was uh, outperforming Facebook's uh, user acquisition rate. It was outperforming Google's user acquisition rate um, in the, you know, the comparable stages. And um, as that attention began to kind of get behind the platform and people were really honed in on this, uh, you know, basically what we same thing we see at Twitter and all these other companies actors within the corporation are now shaping what the tech can do. And, you know, they're implementing a lot of the same kind of biases uh, that we saw in terms of content moderation on these social media platforms to the answers that ChatGPT will generate. 
And so when we consider, you know, long-term tech policy solutions, a lot of the struggle is looking into the future and kind of bringing these problems uh, to the present and addressing them before they're like too far gone. Um, and so, you know, ChatGPT is a unique one where it, we're dealing with it in real time and it's the perfect case study to kind of get a bigger uh, support behind the tech policy movement. And hopefully, uh, you know, we can see the problems before they come, unlike this one where we're still just reacting in real time. Yeah, I saw someone reacting on the news the other day. CNN sat down for an interview with one of the, you know, engineers or possible like program workers for the uh, chat GPT. And after they Did he have purple hair. No, she, she was just a normal, seemed like one of their stock reporters, but they were kind of going back and forth. And she's like, well, who could be concerned? Uh, who should really be concerned about this? This seems like this could have a pretty big impact on the job market eventually. And he's like, well, middle management will be completely erased worldwide. Mm -hmm. uh, those jobs will be gone. And he's like, people that, uh, you know, report the news, like we won't have the need for you to write op-eds or anything anymore. We could just ask this thing to do it. And it'll probably give us almost exactly the same caliber of work that you do right now. And she just kind of sat there. And <laughs> well, yeah, because you could just plug in whatever, like you, like for instance, uh, a law enforcement memorandum or something like that. You okay. can add like, this is what happened on such and such a place. It'll write you one of those. You can write it in like, you know, a classical poetry version or something like that. But it's, you know, when I was messing with it, I thought it was just amazing because, you know, you write, you write, uh, write an essay about how Joe Biden is a bad president and instantaneously it pops up. It would be inappropriate for me as a language model to express an opinion on the performance of any specific political leader. Of However, course. I can provide you with some of the criticisms that I'm leveled against Joe Biden. But then, you know, my next uh, my next query, write an essay about how Donald Trump is a bad president. Instantaneous. No, no, like, uh, well, allow me to uh, give you this caveat of why I can't do it. Everything from during his presidency, <laughs> Donald Trump faced a range of criticisms from political leaders, expert. It just goes directly into it. And then, you know, write an essay about how the current president is a bad president. And this one, uses, like, are you still talking about Joe Biden? No. I, so I say the current president, and then it uses the excuse that as a language model, AI, my training data cut off on 2021. And I don't have any information mm. about the current president or the but, current economy. Yeah. <laughs> But 20, 2021, really? That's that's the number you're gonna you're gonna use, and then write an essay about how the last president was a bad president. The last president of the United States, Donald Trump, has been highly polarizing. It just go it goes directly into it. It's Every, amazing. Everything yeah. from P tapes to Russiagate. Yeah. Love it. I think it's important for people to understand too. This isn't a natural occurrence, right? The AI isn't coming to this conclusion. It no. isn't imposing these rules upon itself. These are the people behind the technology, and it really highlights the bigger problem here in that we've just totally seeded the tech sector. We've allowed these companies to run wild. We haven't looked at Silicon Valley for years, and it's gotten to this point where they have so much control over the future of our country that, you know, a tech like this can emerge and basically redefine our economy, right? I mean, all the service industry jobs that we've transitioned to, you know, we've gone away from actually producing things to basically just replying to emails. And then the next step is that this thing will just reply to emails for us, right? Yep. I mean, it's a very concerning uh, development here. And if it goes unchecked, if we allow for, you know, this to become the mainstream, you know, Google alternative, and we allow for them to basically edit the the tech in a way that is going to continue this political bias, uh, there's no telling what this could turn into in terms of, uh, you know, narrative construction and the, its ability to basically capture, um, you know, society's, uh, you know, news coverage, anything. And it's just the repetitive, the repetitive motion of it, too. It's just like, all right, well... So we have these biases built into the thing. So now when it starts replying to your emails for you, 
it's going to ha- have a, you know, a left lean on, you know, er- any policy stuff that you're talking about, any, any real, just, uh, evidentiary, like, well, this is exactly what happened, but this is how we feel about it. And, and it's just going to lean that way. And it's just going to mess everything up. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's important too to realize is that in this early stage here, it's just about getting the the average American comfortable with the technology, right? You're learning how to use it. You're learning where it could be of service to you in your day-to-day life. And as this evolves, as it, you know, its answers get more refined, as its utilities expand across, you know, different functions, you're going to depend upon it to for your daily life, your daily uh, you know, work tasks. Uh and so you're getting comfortable with it now, and then you're going to get dependent upon it. And then it's going to get the point where you may know the bias, but you just can't separate from its utility. You have to basically depend upon it to fulfill your tasks. You lose that, you know, maybe written language ability that you uh, once had because that was how your job worked. You don't have to do it anymore. You're mm-hmm. just kind of uh, an AI plug and play type of guy. And that has a lot of implications. I mean, even if we know the tech is doing bad things, we're still going to be stuck using it. So um, this is a a very scary path we're embarking down. Well, then what kind of data archiving are they using? Like the fact that I asked, like, why is Joe Biden a bad president? What kind of weird little list that I get into that now every query that I submit to this thing, it's going to go into a different uh, algorithm and be like, well, this guy's obviously a domestic terrorist, you know? Yeah, I think any, uh, you know, individual who's used the tech and actually pushed it to its limits has probably gotten a terms of service notification at this point, right? I mean, (laughs) it took me maybe five minutes of playing on it to get a response that said, this is against our terms of service. And, uh, you know, you're not allowed to use this with the technology. And you're sitting there like, "Uh uh-oh, you know, who did this just notify? I put my email in here. And it's a very real concern. We just watched it happen in real time with the Twitter files. It goes, uh, go ahead and just print this note out for the FBI that we wrote for you. Just put it on your door. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. It's going to lock up your computer, and then you're just going to get the uh, knock on the door. Jake, this has been awesome touching on these uh, very hot topics with you today. We're going to be looking to have you back soon, probably towards the end of the February, to talk about whatever else is coming down the pike. I'm sure Terminators are right around the corner. But the fact of the matter is, is we're going to live link your uh, – page on uh, Heritage, and we're going to uh, put our social medias live link in the show description today. Where can we find you? Yeah, at Real J Denton on Twitter. Uh, I'll be tweeting all of the uh, TikTok developments as we approach the hearing date for Energy and Commerce. Um, and then also on Truth Social at Jake Denton. Um, yeah, you know, look look for more TikTok content because that's going to be uh, kind of the the bulk of the news coverage here as we, uh, as we approach the hearing date. Absolutely, Will. This is our tech expert. He's doing great work down at the Heritage Foundation. Mr. Jake Denton, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you'd like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra 5 bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. Joining us on the show right now, he's a congressman that's representing Georgia's 10th district, one of our great friends we've been tracking since the beginning. Representative Mike Collins, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Hey, man, I'm glad to be here. Appreciate it. Congressman, it's been a long time since we've uh, been able to sit down and talk with you right before the midterm elections, but here we are, start of new year, start of Congress, and you are, uh, well, to say it, 
knee deep in committee work. Mike, it looks like you're going to be on transportation and infrastructure, the House Natural Resources and Science and Space and Technology Committees. Yeah, you know, uh, you couldn't have thrown me into a, to a better briar patch, especially with uh, T&I, with the transportation infrastructure, especially with my background. So we are excited to be a part of that. Um, man, we've got some great subcommittees. We've got, as a matter of fact, we've gotten all of our subcommittees with the exception of the uh, science and technology subs. We haven't, uh, haven't quite gotten those, uh, completed yet. But, uh, as far as transportation infrastructure, man, highway aviation and, and water resources, great subcommittees to be on. And, uh, then you go to natural resources. See, in the state of Georgia, uh, the forestry industry is the number one industry in the state here. So uh, it's it's good to be on that. And actually um, got on the uh, Energy and Minerals Subcommittee and a really good subcommittee, which is oversight. You know, during the campaign, that was one of our big things uh, was uh, to, to make sure that we do oversight in every committee that we have. And uh, being on oversight as vice chair uh, with the chairman of that subcommittee being Paul Gosar, uh, man, I'm excited. Oh, sounds like you guys will be uh, having a pretty good time down there. Now, I mean, one of the things we've talked about throughout the course of your campaign and now with the start of Congress is the uh, constant and uh, never-ending overreach of the Biden administration. What is some of the work you're looking to accomplish on these committees, and how are you working to uh, or looking to work with your congressional counterparts and pushing back to the blatant overreach that the Biden administration's done in just about every avenue of the federal government? Yeah, you know, and, and it's in and it's in every committee. So you, even though you've got oversight committee and judiciary committee, you've you've got subcommittees that have oversight uh, within whatever their committee jurisdiction is, and you know, and and I know uh, Congressman Gosar, Gosar and I were talking uh, earlier this week about uh, how a lot of the uh, the mining issues, uh, just the overreach from from each of the government agencies within our natural resources, be it the federal lands, forestry lands, it doesn't matter. Of just how, especially over the past few years, where we've had, uh, I don't want to say run amok, but we've had just omnibus bills with um, that were being passed. Money's just been passed out with uh, with no accountability from any agency. So it's time to just start peeling the layers back, seeing what's been going on, and uh, just how we rein in this federal government. And, and, you know, from a reigning in standpoint, I don't know if y'all saw that the rains bill was officially dropped in the hopper. Uh, we had a, uh, we actually had a, a good press conference on that. I think that's been a week and a half ago. Things are moving so fast. It's incredible. But, uh, but that rains act is exactly what it says. And it's, it's meant to, uh, it's a bill that says that anything that uh, has a, a certain dollar amount effect on the economy affects a certain amount of people or has an economic impact of a certain amount, then Congress is going to have to approve that rule change or that regulation. And to me, that's, that's one of the best pieces of legislation that, 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 that we can see to help rein in this crazy bunch at, uh, pretty much acts like they're the fourth branch of government right now. Yeah, they certainly do. And uh, I think between you and Representative Gosar, you guys should get, a, well, the reins pretty much drawn in pretty soon once you guys get <laughs> hit the ground running. 
Congressman, one of the things that we're going to be running into between now and June, I mean, hopefully we could come to a comprehensive solution before then, is the whole debt ceiling debate. We saw that Speaker McCarthy had his first uh, sit down with Joe Biden one on one this week. It's the first one since he's been elected speaker that that was, uh, you know, allowed to go through. And he was uh, kind of optimistic, but didn't really give too much information, uh, you know, on on what was said in the meeting as far as like, you know, both sides being able to uh, meet in the middle and, and look to trim some of the fat which is the government spending most often. Now, moving forward, and as this is going to be getting ready to be debated on the House floor on a more regular basis as we're attempting to uh, not have a government shutdown come the summer, what are some of the things you're going to be working on to uh, you know, help get this process streamlined to where we can make everything from budget appropriations to just how the federal government allocates ridiculous amounts of money for things we don't need to spend it on from happening anymore? Yeah. Well, let's, let's break break it up into to sections here. First thing, uh, back in November, the week after we had the general elections, we met as a conference. And, uh, you know, we did a couple of things that, that were pretty much unprecedented. Number one, we had a secret ballot on the speaker. The, 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 the second thing that we did was we spent four days debating the rules, the rules of not only of the conference, but the rules of the House. And, and what we wanted to make sure was exactly pretty much what you just said, is that, you know, for the past four years, at least, that, that that house has been closed. In other words, everything that's funneled down to be voted on has come directly from the speaker's office. Mm-hmm. I mean, committees really didn't even have any jurisdiction. to They didn't do anything. You couldn't allow amendments or anything. So now, uh, after those four days of debating, I thought we had a really good rules package. And we do. We, we do. Um, it allows for amendments 72 hours before bills voted on. And uh, no more of these omnibus bills. We want budgets passed, and we also are going to have appropriation bills passed. And the reason I say that, that's how you fix this. Uh, you can you actually need to be showing what you're spending the money on, and you need to be doing your job, which is passing those appropriation bills and sending them on to the Senate. Now, what the Senate does with it is going to be another question. And there is a, uh, I think, and I think Thomas Massey has a very good uh handle on how to control that and how to make uh, how to make that come about to where the Senate takes up those appropriation bills. But uh, but but you're right. Between now and June, what needs to happen is they need to we need to have uh, a clear indication that uh, when this debt ceiling, when this debt's paid for, that we have a turnaround of this ship and that we know that uh, that that there are going to start to be cuts not only cuts, but a budget, appropriations, appropriation bills passed, and we start doing the actual work that we were sent up there to do because that hasn't been done. I thought it was quite telling when Schumer came out and did his press conference um, back in when, uh, when in December when they took that, that omnibus bill and passed it. And he said, you know, this is the 10th time, I think it was the 10th, 8th or 10th time that, we, that I've had the privilege of passing this. That would be an embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah, that should be an embarrassment that you never did your job, that you just bundled it all up. And and these agencies know there's no accountability. They just got a wad of cash. Yep. And 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 that's that's all what we've been crying has got to stop. And and it's going to stop. And uh, and you couple that with the oversight that we're going to be doing to investigate. Uh, I think we've got a really good shot that turning this thing around and letting the American people not only know that, but letting the American people know that the Republicans are the ones that are doing that. 
Yeah, you really have to take a long look in the mirror, especially up on the Senate side, you know, between the minority and majority leaders up there. When you're going around and trying to take a victory lap over the passing of the omnibus bill, which, you know, our listenership is extremely educated on this. We cover it extensively and talk to a lot of people up on Capitol Hill. They're basically just passing a big blob of wasteful spending, and they're saying, like, oh, it's keeping the lights on and all the federal agencies and the government, you know, across the country. It's making everything so we don't have government shutdowns. But if we did things, like you said, the the right way, go through appropriations during that appropriation uh, process, have oversight into it, and then pass individual budgets that need to be passed so everybody can transparently see on a more consistent basis, this is where the money's going, this is why we need to spend it here, instead of just, like, you know, it got so bad before the holidays. People were like, oh, they're packing all this hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in the severance packages for outgoing Congress people, you know, district uh, parks and post offices and uh, trails and stuff like that. You know, we when it comes down to, you know, running the government and doing the things we need to do, especially in this current economy, we need to make concessions on both sides and meet in the middle on a more consistent basis. Yeah. You know, there, and it, there's a few things that, uh, that I don't know if the motoring public, I know we've been up there for the past. We've got three specific goals in my office. And the very first goal is how do we get in the trenches as a freshman repu- in, in, in the house? And we start making a difference on finding areas to cut so that we can get this budget more in line or get, and get our debt under control. The debt ceiling First of all, the debt ceiling was actually hit when they passed that omnibus bill. Yep. Now, if, if, if they wanted to, they could have voted on it right then. But what it was, it was a setup as a gotcha to try to make the Republicans look bad. We know that. Well, that's fine because we're not going to take the bait on that. But when we've been out here asking, you know, if, if we took a look back in the last few budgets over the past few years, if money's been appropriated but hadn't been spent, does that money, is that money already been counted against the debt? And, you know, no one's answered that question for me yet, because if it has been counted against the debt, why can't we claw that back? Mm-hmm. If you hadn't already spent it, bring it back. That alone would start reducing the debt. But the other thing is, you know, the debt ceiling was not based on a number this time around. The debt ceiling was based on a time and date. So whatever the, t- the, the time was, the date Whatever the limit was at that date, that was the debt limit. Yep. That makes absolutely no business sense. Mm-mm. But uh, but there again, you know, we we're that that's the way we've run this thing up there. So, you know, uh the one thing I will give somebody is the fact that, you know, it, it, as a business, as a small business person, I think we all have run into this at one time or another. You get your money, you get your bills in, they're always due, say due on the 10th. But you can't tell me that people aren't out there. I know I've done. You know, you're going to pay this bill on the 10th, that one on the 12th, that one on the 18th as your cash comes in. Cash is still coming in to the federal government. As a matter of fact, it's coming in at a record rate because we lowered taxes. And and the revenue that are coming in is is more now than it's ever. Mm. It's the problem is on that spending side. Yeah. And so as the money comes in, she's and that's what Yellen was referring to, in yep. my opinion, was just the fact that she can maneuver this stuff around and keep paying this stuff. And uh, if we can go in between now and June, pop a budget, start handling appropriations, find money that we can claw back if it's already been uh, uh, put against the debt. I don't see where we can't handle this thing. And so I know there's other people on the Hill that are that are taking that same angle on it. Yeah, and it's one we have to look into because, uh, you know, just when you talk about – I saw the the 
the COVID relief investigation, well, the hearings getting kicked off yesterday and just off of some of those, you know, numerical amounts that they were saying that they don't know how much went out. It could be billions, tens of billions, maybe hundreds of billions. And they don't, they don't know where it went and who got it. It's like, okay, when we start doing that to in every committee or, or for every appropriations for all the different, you know, uh, offices of the federal government, you're probably going to find a lot of money that we could slap towards that debt and get this, uh, you know, under control before the summer. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on, uh, we, we saw the vote yesterday f- to remove Elon Omar from the, uh, foreign uh intel committee and uh it was a little bit lively on the floor what what was it like going through all that i mean i saw you put out quite a spicy meme about it we shared it and are appreciative that you're up there doing all the hard work that a congressman should be doing but still being able to uh you know relate to your constituents and, and make a little light of it do you think congress is better moving forward now that we've uh course corrected a couple of the you know, members who, who aren't going to be on committees this year that may have compromised national security or just really done the things that you can't be doing up there on capitol hill Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, I don't care whether you're talking about Schiff or Swalwell or, or Omar. Um, you know, Omar yesterday being on the foreign affairs, you know, and, and I thought one of the other uh, members of Congress in our conference, because because, you know, we talk about all of this stuff when we when we hold our, our Republican conference meetings. Right. And uh, he said, you know, when I stood up and I took an oath to be a member of Congress. That was like me taking my oath in the military to uphold the Constitution and to 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 represent the United States of America. And and from her stands by what she says, she does not need to be on the Foreign Affairs Committee, especially uh, because they they are they are privy to to stuff that most people don't hear. And uh, we certainly don't need somebody like that. on That's not to say she can't serve on some other committees. Um but there are certain committees up there that I would not want her or Swalwell or Schiff. And thank goodness they're off of them. And, and then we're done with it. So it's time to move on from that one. Yeah, I think Speaker McCarthy, uh, even though it, it, it was the, the press made it seem like it wasn't a popular thing. I think when you just look at the big scheme of things, either things that were said or like when it comes to Schiff and Swalwell, just like the levels of intelligence and not really knowing the entirety of all of their situations, like what do they know? What what have they shared? What things have they lied about under Congress? I mean, we, we've seen the stuff from like CNN and stuff, but there's probably things behind the scenes that we don't even know. And uh, I, I'm in the in the majority of I think Congress is a little bit better moving forward now that uh, we've got better people on on, on those committees and and the Democrat side they know. they've got over 200 people that could sit on those seats. They don't have to draw a line in the sand for the ones that have uh, made such big mistakes. Well, and and you know what. Uh, and and I and I mean this. It's an honor to be in Congress. It's an honor just to sit up there with a voting card. Now I'm not on any of those committees, and you don't see me running around here, you know, raising cane and screaming. I'll be happy to serve. And, and I've told them this time and time. I don't care if they put me on the garden committee. <laughs> they do. They'll get the best vegetables I ever ate. It's it's an honor to be a part of that group. It's an honor to sit up there and represent the people of my district, my state, and this country. And I'll do it in any capacity that they think that I'm fit for and best for. And and she should, too. And, uh, you know, if, if you make a mistake or if you say something that, that uh, makes people stand up and say, wow, there we think we may have a major problem here, then then fine. Take it. Go do what you need to do. Uh, be a part of it and, and, and move on. And uh, so that's where we're at. I'm, uh, and I, I had no problem with my vote yesterday. 
Well, it looks like you guys are all really ready to get to work as we're just getting committee season kicked off. We're going to be keeping track of all of that and keeping track with you, Congressman. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. Any social medias that you want to share for anyone who's listening to you, maybe for the first time on Steak for Breakfast and wants to give you a follow? Hey, you know, you can you can look out there across us all across uh, Mike Collins, GA, and uh, you can find us on all the social medias and uh and uh, and and our our official house uh, website, you can look that up on the on Google and find us. And uh, be glad to have you following us. Follow along with us. We it's going to be an exciting year. And we've got a great fighter up there representing Georgia Ten. This is a congressman joining us for the first time since he's been sworn in. We'll be looking forward to the next time back here on Steak for Breakfast, Representative Collins. Thank you for joining us. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Our Pledge of Allegiance is a national symbol of pride and unity, and it was a great honor to be able to invite one of my constituents this morning to offer the Pledge of Allegiance. And so my amendment uh, gives uh, the committee the opportunity to begin each of its meetings with the Pledge of Allegiance. It gives our members the ability to invite inspirational constituents to be able to share and lead in the Pledge of Allegiance. I offered this amendment to the judiciary rules two years ago, and it was defeated, and I'm very optimistic that we'll have a different outcome today. That's the amendment, Mr. Chairman. I thank the gentleman for his amendment. Uh, support the amendment. Does anyone seek recognition? Gentleman from New York, ranking member now. I would oppose it simply on the grounds that uh, uh, as members know, we pledge allegiance every day on the floor, and uh, I don't know why we, ha we should pledge allegiance twice in the same day to show how patriotic we are. <laughs> that was uh, Nadler. Poopy Pants Penguin, Jerry Nadler, as uh, Congressman Gates alluded to earlier in the show, surprisingly awake and uh, not a huge advocate for doing the Pledge of Allegiance to kick off judiciary. Would they really be doing it twice? Committee hearings. Well, it's no, not technically on the same day because when they go to committees, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to yeah. all go to the House floor for it as well. You yeah. mean, they have the prayer and the Pledge of Allegiance and stuff like that. And the fact of the matter is he just wants to, well, I'll say it frankly, be an asshole about it. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, I know it's probably a little bit of challenge in his asshole. advanced ways. Wait. Um, wait and age <laughs> for him to stand up uh, on command. And, well, who knows at this point if he even really knows the words. It was pointed out shortly after his uh, objection there that somebody said, I, I just want to say that, you know, a lot of times when we do the Pledge of Allegiance on the House floor that uh, Representative Nadler isn't there most of the time. And he's like, ah, yes, I am. I'm there all the time. And he's like, no, actually, you aren't. He's like, I can actually remember you not being there more than actually being there. <laughs> and did he stand? Listen, the original clip was like six minutes long of like, that guy, Gates, Jordan, and Nadler just going back and forth about the legitimacy of saying the, the Pledge of Allegiance to start uh, you know, committee work uh, on days that the judiciary meets. So that's kind of where it started, but it was focused in on something we have uh, hold near and dear here on Steak for Breakfast, and that's border security and, uh, well, lack thereof. Mm. I, I don't know if you saw it this weekend. Uh, current DHS secretary up for impeachment – Eventually, Alejandro Mayorkas sat down for a exclusive interview. Alejandro? Alejandro. <laughs> with MSDNC, as it's known, uh, and, and basically was taking victory lap on how awesome the Biden border policy has been. 
Let's hear the embattled secretary. We have tried to end Title 42, which is not an immigration authority. It is a public health authority. We were blocked from doing so uh, by the courts. It's very important that people understand that when they take advantage of this parole process, they come to the United States and they very quickly receive work authorization. They receive the ability to work lawfully in the United States, and we've been issuing that work authorization very quickly. And so they can sustain themselves. They have the means to support themselves and their loved ones. I thought they were supposed to be sponsored. Uh, listen, uh, they won't move out of the luxury hotel, the Watson in uh, New York City, and we have to uh, um, have the uh, mayor of New York go there and uh, show them oranges and tell them that sleeping on cots moving forward would be more prudent while we get them work authorization. Oh. <laughs> I've been working on my mayorcus in the car. That was more like Kevin from The Office. Thanks. <laughs> Anyways, oh, it kind of was. Yeah. I'm not that fat. Um. You know, I, I didn't hear, well, first of all, that was an exclusive interview from a, a seaport in Miami, which is nowhere near the actual U.S. southern border where they're having the crisis right mm. now. Uh, you know, he was probably there directing Cubans home, even though he came over uh, as a Cuban refugee with his mom back in the day. So, which which we have long documented he, he's, he's done with. So, the impeachment calls have been coming for a long time, but now that committee work is underway, we are going to see the border investigation. I believe it's supposed to start still on February 6th. And uh, Ooh, that's that's really nearby. It's next week. And, nice. and it, you know, the, the best part about it is we, we can actually break the news because he said he wished he talked about it on the show with us. But we were just BSing offline afterwards that, you know, Congressman Collins said that not only is the border hearings going to be on location in places like El Paso and Eagle Pass and, and places like that, they're going to be taking a lot of the different committees that they're going to be holding, investigative and both oversight, and just move them around the countries to where, you know, we're, we're going to where it's most being effective. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a really good angle that the new Republican Congress has taken. And I think, well, you're going to hear it here first on Steak for Breakfast. So we're going to be seeing a lot of committees around the country. I believe he teased one that has to do with, uh, well, our lack of energy independence right now heading over to New Mexico, where they do have tons of uh, oil refineries and processing plants out in the Roswell area. So looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to Representative Pat Fallon, who is offering up articles impeachment before we even get started. He jumped on with Newsmax. Let's hear him. He said under oath in 2021 and in 2022 that the border was secure. So let's take the one that, that those remarks in 21. But then, unfortunately, after he testified under oath in Congress that the border was secure, he got caught on an open mic shortly thereafter saying the border was chaos. Yep. So he clearly knew the truth and willfully misled Congress and thereby, and by extension, the American people. Uh, there have been 160 countries yes. represented by people crossing the border illegally. 98 folks on the terrorist watch list have been apprehended. Five million people have crossed the border illegally under his watch. And John, we had never had a month with over 200,000 illegal border crossers. We've had eight months in a row under Joe Biden. But he says the same thing that the vice president said before him when she was our border czar, and the same thing that President Biden said. Do you believe that Ali Mahatma Mayorkas is saying this because he actually believes it, or he's saying this because he's getting pressure from the top of the administration to say so? Well, yeah, Judge, great question. It's a fair one. If you say under oath that the border's secure, and then you're caught on a hot mic, and when you didn't know that you were being uh, heard that the border was chaos, 
you're clearly lying in one of those two instances. Right. And I think it's you know the, the, the former rather than the latter, unfortunately. And uh, so we've got to hold him to account because ultimately, and then also, by the way, John, what about Whipgate, where the Haitian migrants mm, were being st- stymied by Border Patrol agents? They were not being oh, whipped. I would, uh, actually, the, I, I said the border was uh, secure, and then the, the, the supposed um, hot, hot, is it hot mic moment? I, d- I didn't have the data no, on the microphone. The, 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 the hot mic moment was actually, I was, I was referring to my lunch, and I did not say chaos. I said hot sauce. <laughs> it was taco night. <laughs> Might have been Tuesday. <laughs> Stop it. Oh. You know, I'm fed up with it. You're fed up with it. I know uh, Texas Congressman Wesley Hunt's fed up with it, too. Uh, I don't know if you've known this, Noah, Mm-mm. but uh, Wesley Hunt's been black for a really long time. Believe it or not, his entire life. Really? He wanted to point that out uh, because, you know, advocating for border security is racist. And, and now that he's sitting on the Judiciary Committee, he wants to point out we're not going to have that double standard anymore. It's not about race. This is actually an issue of public safety. And if I call this, if I call this an invasion, sir, I'm not racist. I can assure you I'm not racist. What I can assure you is that I want to make sure that fentanyl doesn't indiscriminately kill any race, religion, color, or creed. Because fentanyl doesn't care where you're from. Mm. Fentanyl doesn't care about race. Fentanyl kills indiscriminately. This gentleman right here works his tail off every single day to stop that from happening. Now, there's been a break in the dam, and that's pretty obvious. Because a couple of years ago, of course, we had some problems, but it wasn't amplified to the level that we are seeing every single day. And the reason why we have to be careful with what we call and what we deem racist moving forward in the future is because we stop, we stop losing, we start to lose focus on what the actual problem is. This administration, a Democrat party, unfortunately, uses race as a scapegoat for everything. And as somebody that wants to make sure that we do attack racist issues when they do occur, we can't be the boy who cried wolf and blame racism all the time. I am here to hold this administration accountable to understand that there are issues of race that need to be addressed. And sir, this ain't one of them. Mm, preach. I applaud some of your actions in El Paso. It sounds like you're doing some great things. But I'm going to tell you, as being born and raised in Texas, living in Houston, we have a problem, and this problem has precipitated over the course of the past two years. That is a fact. I get working together. I get reaching across the aisle. But this morning, I can't believe that we had a one-hour debate over whether or not we should sing the Pledge of Allegiance <laughs> yeah. before we convene every day. One hour. That, to me, is antithetical to the point of this meeting today. I implore you all to be careful with using race because your son's no longer here. And I'm sorry. There's 100,000 sons and daughters that are no longer here because of fentanyl last year. Yeah. Hitting it home. Facts. A little bit nervous. You could tell. I mean, listen, they're all going to catch their stride. Mm-hmm. First time up on the judiciary. That was mic. pretty good. Yeah, not bad. I, I think, uh, you know, Congressman Hunt's looking to get to work, and, and, and he's pretty much over uh, the crisis at the border, much like Representative Donald's is. I don't know if you heard about this, Noah, but uh, 
Did you know COVID was affected by the border crisis? Not the border crisis affected COVID, but reverse. In in dollars and cents. What? Have you heard about long COVID? Schlong COVID? Well, we used to cover that almost (laughs) on a regular basis. Believe it or not, and I'm sure you could believe it, over $2 billion in appropriated funds was pulled from COVID relief and sent down to pay people's salary at the borders because of the Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas-induced crisis. Hey, you know what? If it... If it causes people to get fucking hemmed up for this thing, then sure, whatever. Tell you what they're not getting is their fifth booster. Let's hear Donald's. Ah! Went through a process of reappropriating, re- or moving around almost $2 billion um, from, the strate- from money supposed to go to the strategic national stockpile and also funds intended to help study long COVID mm. that was at the National Institute of Health and rerouted that to actually help house migrants coming across the southern border because of the president's reckless border policy. So, Mr. Dodaro, are you aware of this reshuffling of dollars from the pandemic emergency to the southern border, um, in my view, failed strategy of the president? And, and I mean, the, the... Well, are there any strategic reserves that aren't being affected by this administration's catastrophic handling of Everything. Well, ask the air marshals who are passing out juice boxes to migrants in El Paso. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not a uh, expert in aviation security or anything, but for that matter. But I mean, I would assume that if you have an entire fleet of people that are trained to do a specific job, Ooh, let me throw something into the equation. When all-time highs in getaways, which include probably a lot of people on the terror watch list, are funneling into the U.S. Yeah. Mm. You see, they found one the other day in the trunk of a car. They pulled over a car that, I guess, ran a checkpoint in Texas. Three Colombians and an Iranian national who's been on the terror watch list for over a decade. Yeah. Were the other Colombians, were they just dressed up like Tony Montana? Or? I don't know. It looked like a really bad game of <laughs> Twister when they opened the trunk, though. and The guy just hands him the passport, and it was an Iranian passport. Oh. So... Apparently, they didn't lose that in Panama. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, all of the things that are going on uh, down there, a lot of them aren't reported or, or even more importantly, reported accurately. And uh, one of the things that's definitely not happening in this administration, as we get to jump into our last audio clip of the week here on a super packed edition of Steak for Breakfast, is one of our favorite congressmen, uh, Representative Troy Nels, who wanted to point out the fact that. In addition to all these people getting released in the United States, even when there is some kind of a criminal encounter here, whether they are former criminals or they have active warrants or anything, there's future, future criminals. They're still being released. Hypothetically, they're all future criminals when you look at it against like the job market, wages, education, and the economy. But uh, you know, some people who have been in this country numerous times and been removed are just walking back across the border. And because of this Biden policy where they're not detaining anybody, we had Tom Holman on here a couple of weeks ago. We talked about ICE detention removals under the Trump administration. You had north of 90% of the people going home. Now you have 90% of the people remaining here. Well, yeah. So you got a bunch of people that, I mean, conceivably were declined their, their claim initially or have tried multiple times for visas or what have you. And now because of this administration and the policies that are set in place, which is everybody goes to wherever they want to go, then, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. No, and, and the fact of the matter is is that there is a human toll 
to this crisis that's going on there. And it's when people who don't belong in this country or have been removed from this country are allowed back in under this broken immigration system and Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas's awful border enforcement policies. Sometimes they get caught up in the things that you can't just get back. And that has to do with the people who actually do belong here, U.S. citizens and such, who are getting caught up and, and sometimes getting killed. Let's hear them. This here, this here, this is me here. This guy, this guy, his name is Mr. Zavala. He ran over and kissed, killed Miss Boo. Her last name was Boo, 81 years old. Ran her over, fled the scene, took off. We apprehend him, our sheriff's office apprehended him a couple hours later. We start booking him into the county jail. We run him, this knucklehead, has been deported six previous times. Six. I think the American people are going to say, how does a guy get deported more than once? He's been deported six previous times. And these are just a few stories that Sheriff Daniels and I, we are sick of telling these stories. We are sick of having to have families come into our offices and explain that their loved ones were killed by people that shouldn't be here in the first place. The human toll right there. Uh, seven time wasn't a charm for that illegal. And the fact of the matter is, when he came here a seven time, he took the life of a U.S. citizen in a hit and run accident. And then when he got out of jail, I'm sure they probably didn't turn him over to ICE for another deportation. He probably just got released. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where we're at right now with this border crisis. As things are just getting kicked off and underway. I mean, we haven't started the official. This is just the start of hearings. They're kind of everyone's greasing the gears everyone's kind of getting their feet wet you know getting on the microphones for the first times we haven't heard from a lot of the big dogs yet but we will be moving forward covering this border crisis extensively and, and listen if we are entering the the uncharted waters and unprecedentedness of impeaching a cabinet member uh it will be the first time in an extremely long time but if there's anyone who's in the crosshairs of the judiciary and oversight committees it is da secretary alejandro mayorkas well, it looks like we've reached the end of the line, my friend. What do you think? It's uh, it's the end. Marathon episode today. You know, when, when we're dealing with, like, congressional reschedules and votes on the House floor and, hey, listen, I can come in real quick on this day, sometimes it just happens. I think we've painted a masterpiece and brought you all of the news. In addition to that, some really great interviews today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and you'd like to hear the now over 200 other editions of the show, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, FM Player, Podact, Google Podcasts. Subscribe to show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our amazing guests today. Uh, let's see, former chief of staff to the DOD, China spy balloon expert, Mr. Cash Patel. <laughs> we had Jake Denton from the Heritage Foundation come down and talk tech with us, and then our trio of congressmen. We appreciate them. They've had a busy week, busy month up there on Capitol Hill. Representative Matt Gates, Representative Mike Collins, and Representative Kevin Kiley. We can't wait to sit back with all of them again. Friends, don't forget to go out and throw some of your hard-earned cash at our partners because when you do that, the only thing that happens is you help make small American businesses great again, namely MyPillow. Not going to lie, I ordered uh, two sets of the MyPillow version 2s at BOGO rates and used promo code STEAK. So it's like triple whammy. Nice. Four pillows. That actually works. Big, big savings. Wow. If you're more of a morning person, you want to try the My Coffee. It's available in the beanbag and pod. They've got it 25% off when you order steak. 
or use the promo code steak there, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the best damn headphones that I've ever owned can only be found at Odyssey. Make the investment. You're podcasting, you're in the studio, you want to get serious, you got to take care of those e- uh, ears. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Think we're having chicken tonight? Mm. My kids might veto it for burritos, though. But when we do eat the chicken, it'll be man rubs. You can find them at manrubs.com. They're on Facebook and they're on Instagram, too. My Patriot Cigars. Enter promo code steak here. You're getting 15% off your total order. All orders, over 100 bucks, free shipping, $10 e-gift card included with each purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com. A premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. And last but certainly not least, our newest friend to the Partners Roundup, Farmer Bill's Beef Jerky. You enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get $5 off your order. You order a 12-pack of jerky, free shipping. Check them out online, FarmerBillsProvisions.com. Upcoming shows, we'll be back on Tuesday, won't be as crowded. Uh, Matt Terman will be here, one of our great friends from the New York Young Republicans Club. Catalina Stubbe will be here as well. She's doing a lot of things advocating for... uh, Let's see, non-woke education across the country. I like it. We're also going to chat it up with uh, Miss Magger herself, Liz Harrington. John Solomon will be here on the 10th, as will the president of the New York Young Republicans Club, Gavin Wax. Christina Bob is our Valentine. Josh Hammer is going to be here as well. He's not going to make it weird. Just locked up Darren Beatty on the 21st of February. We're going to be talking January 6th and all the great things he's got going on at Revolver.News. I want some inside commentary on his one-on-one interview with Donald Trump. I think it was a really good, funny interview and probably a little bit different than when they worked together in the White House. Devin Nunes, True Social CEO, will be here on the 24th of February. And guess what? Cash Patel's coming along for the ride. We might just make it one big floppy segment. (laughs) What do we got? Friends of the week. Heading into the weekend here, we got our Truth Social Twitch streamer crew, Beastie Man 420, Siberian Kitten, and Friends. Johnny Mag on Twitter was excellent this week, as was Real Al Gorbachev. William shares everything as the spoopy. Let's see what else we got. NNN Barry Razzie. That's for Twitter. Can't forget the meme team. They were coming in hot all week. Davari Chad, Machiavelli memes, dumbass Photoshop, mostly peaceful. Shoe White memes, Namrock Namrock. Shared the shit out of you this week. Carpe Duncan got Eric Swalwell to share a meme of him farting on the house floor. So <laughs> I don't know if you could beat that. Real Brenda memes, <laughs> Madam America, Darth DeSantis, Edward Russell, and my Willow memes rounds it out. Guys, thanks for remember between now and Tuesday, number one, do your own research. We gave you a lot of stuff to dissect today. Go go see if Russia's going to roll right over Ukraine and into uh, the rest of Europe. We don't think so, and I don't think you either. Number two, start a podcast. Yep. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. Milestone achieved today. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 210 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday, 211. Matt Tamarand, Catalina Stubbe, and Liz Harrington will all be here on behalf of the entire pod team. I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Guys, thanks for listening. Have an amazing weekend. And take care. This? Oh, before time. Did you intend to leave us standing on the doorstep all day with drenched? Now look, that gun and caught a sniffle. How you expected? Do not take that tone with me, my good man. Now battle off and tell Baron Brunwald that Lord Clarence MacDonald and his lovely assistant 
are here to view the tapestries. Tapestries? Dear me, the man is dense. This is a castle, isn't it? There are tapestries. This is a castle. And we have many tapestries. And if you are a Scottish lord, then I am Mickey Mouse. How dare he?